This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. First show back of the new year, and I stand before you. Actually, I'm I'm sitting. I would stand uh, if I, I had a better furniture set up in terms of the standing desk. I have to look into one of these standing desks, but the controls are still lower. So anyway, I'm sitting. Sometimes during the show, I get up and stand. But uh, standing, sitting, whatever. I stand before you, much like B.B. Rebozo said of Richard Nixon, tan, rested, and ready. I'm not that tan. Where am I going to go to get tan? I'm not going to go to a tanning salon or something. But I am rested and ready. Happy to be back. Uh, I miss being on the air. And uh, there are so many issues that I want to touch upon and so many different things that I want to talk about. And I'm warning you, if you're one of these people like me that starts your day at an odd hour, Today is, at least on the East Coast as of now, today is Tuesday. The entire day, if you had off yesterday, it's going to feel like Monday. It's going to take some getting used to. It's going to have a Monday feel all day long. You got to go with it. It's just the case. But uh, look at it this way. Friday will be here quicker than you realize. All right. Uh, A very sad story and a very serious story. I'm sure by now that you've heard about it. I know a lot of my colleagues have been covering this. The news has been all over this. I'm looking, and there are four television monitors all on tuned to a different news station, three of them. Uh, and today happens to be a busy news day. If you look at wh- what we're doing in terms of electing a speaker, if you, what, which we'll talk about, if you look at the Santos situation, three of these four news stations all have the situation uh, involving Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin. If you haven't been following this, uh, the Bills player, DeMar Hamlin, is in critical condition after he collapsed on the field during a Monday night football game last night and needed CPR and uh, an AED to be used on him before being rushed to the hospital. The NFL announced that it postponed the game between the Bills and the Bengals. Now, I know we have a lot of people that uh, listen to the station that aren't necessarily interested in sports, and they might say, well, why does this matter? The answer is because it does, uh, because much of the country is very interested in football, and uh, football, especially Monday Night Football, is one of the most watched things on television, and it's for a reason. Uh, They call football, to an extent, America's game, right? And a lot of people follow what goes on in football, and I think there are some other things worth exploring uh, with respect to this. Here was Joe Buck on ESPN explaining what happened uh, to DeMar Hamlin. Hamlin received immediate medical attention on the field by team and independent medical staff and local paramedics. He was then transported to a local hospital where he is in critical condition. I... I'm pretty much going with the consensus in that I think that the Bills and the Bengals and the NFL handled this pretty well. Uh, They handled it with sensitivity. And really, the most important issue right now 
is DeMar Hamlin's well-being. It might be a little insensitive to do what all of us are doing right now and speculate and uh, talk about other issues related to football while his life is in the balance and the causes are unknown. But uh, I was certainly impressed with how quickly the league acted in postponing the game. And both head coaches deserve some credit for their unity and for their decorum. And I'll tell you, I'm looking, I was not watching the game live. I think I was trying to uh, get an, I was, I was preparing for the show or trying to get a nap, one of the two. And I'm watching the images now of the other players, particularly on the Bills, but on both teams, really. The players the looks on their faces is like nothing I've ever seen in an NFL game. I know there have been serious NFL injuries before, and we've talked about a lot of them. And a lot of them, you don't necessarily realize the full extent of the injury until a little bit later. Much was made over the situation involving uh, Tua, the uh, the quarterback that was permitted and cleared to play after the uh, after you know Tua Tagovailoa after the uh, apologies for the pronunciation of his last name, after he was uh, suffering from a concussion. But this was a clear indication that you see these players and the coaches and the referees on the field immediately knowing that there's something seriously wrong here and wondering if Hamlin's life could be in danger. Here was what it sounded like uh, as Troy Aikman was calling the game. The league is going to officially suspend play for this evening. And they will get with the teams and they will try to find a date or whatever their next move is. But for this evening, uh, the game is officially suspended. That is not uh, Troy Aikman, um, but uh, that that was somebody. And they were explaining what happened. Maybe it was Troy Aikman's broadcast partner. Now, anyway... The uh, I think I know there was some criticism of the NFL for not immediately suspending the game or in postponing the game. I-, I honestly think it's very easy to second guess at times of crisis like this. I think they did. Uh, they handled this appropriately as far as I'm concerned. As I said, by the way, uh, I don't know exactly what the situation is and neither does anybody else with DeMar Hamlin's injuries, how serious they are. How serious this, uh, they say he's hospitalized and in critical condition. Critical condition can mean a lot of things. I don't know if, um, you know, what the likelihood of recovery is right now. So if I was, um, you know, a family member of DeMar Hamlin, a friend of DeMar Hamlin, a teammate, even a fan of DeMar Hamlin, the last thing that I'd want to be doing is talking about the broader implications of this. Unfortunately, I think there are some things that are worth exploring here. Dr. Anthony Cardillo was on ABC News talking about what kind of injury Hamlin may have suffered. I have to stress here, though, that what Dr. Cardillo said, just like what all of us are saying, all of these people talking about what may have happened or what may happen, we're all speculating. So take it with a grain of salt. That's all I'm saying here. Not to take anything away from Dr. Cardillo or any expert in medicine or sports or sports medicine that's offering their two cents on this. Just keep in mind, we're not in the room. We're not in the hospital room. We haven't examined this person. We don't know exactly what happened here. 
Well, what we can tell is that the event was most probably secondary to that hit. There are other episodes where athletes are running, they're exerting themselves, and will have a ventricular arrhythmia secondary to a hypertrophic or enlarged heart. That's different. This was traumatic. And we see that hit happened in that upper chest area. And there are a couple of things that could happen under this scenario. The first to think about, obviously, is the spinal cord, the spinal cord injury. It doesn't seem like that's what happened here. Because when you have a spinal cord injury that does injure acutely that cervical spine, you don't get back up. You're on the floor and you'll stay on the floor. He was able to get back up. That leads us to believe this is more of a cardiac injury. When you have a cardiac injury, a couple of things, again, could happen. With a large enough hit to the anterior chest, you can transect the aorta, the large blood vessel coming out of that heart. But when that happens, number one, that's not survivable usually, and you don't stand up after that kind of injury. Even if it was a mild dissection, these are very significant injuries. It's a very common injury. The third thing we're thinking about, it's called the R on T phenomenon. This is a phenomenon that when the heart is going between its beats, as that heart is depolarizing and then repolarizing, if you have traumatic trauma to the, the chest, at a very specific moment, as that heart is repolarizing itself, you can go into a lethal ventricular arrhythmia. And that's what it looks like it happened because he was able to stand up. And at that point, his heart started what we call fear. That's that cardiac arrest. That's when he collapsed back down. And they would have recognized at that point, no pulse. So if you didn't watch the game or if you haven't heard in detail... This is a healthy 24-year-old young man, a great athlete. As far as we know, there's no pre-existing medical condition that he has. And he's now in critical condition in a hospital after collapsing on the field. Now, as you heard from Dr. Cardillo, he did get up after the tackle. So what occurred is about nine minutes into the game, Hamlin tackled the Bengals receiver T. Higgins after a 13-yard catch. Higgins rammed into Hamlin at full speed, appearing to hit him in the head and the chest area. Hamlin quickly stood up. He took two steps, collapsed backwards, and his body went limp. That's what we saw. Then, of course, you saw the medical personnel administer CPR and attend to him for 10 minutes as players from both teams were obviously shedding tears and visibly upset. Maybe this is the wrong time. To discuss this. But we've covered this before. We covered this. Uh, we, we, we've covered this many times over the last two years. There has been, particularly among youth sports, there has been a gradual movement away from tackle football towards things like flag football. We've had issues with CTE. Traumatic head injuries, concussions. You know, there's not a person that can tell me. And I don't care what any expert says. I don't care what any person says. There's not a person that can tell me that what, you know, Aaron Hernandez, the football player who probably, I mean, almost certainly committed a vicious murder and then killed himself. There's not a person that can tell me that traumatic head injury did not play a role in his mental illness and his becoming a murderer. There's not a person that could tell me that. I, 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 save your breath if you're thinking of dialing. And you know who I think realizes that the sun may eventually be setting on tackle football? The NFL. 
we told you in April that the NFL is pushing for flag football to be included in the Olympics as early as 2028 in Los Angeles. Understand what I just said. The National Football League is pushing for not tackle football, not what we saw these guys playing last night, but flag football to be included in the Olympics. Now, the NFL, you know, they're a business. They they now pay taxes on uh, on that business, but the NFL wants to attract 50 million new international fans over the next 10 years. And the growth of flag football is critical to that. Football uh, has not so much as sniffed the Olympics since 1932 in Los Angeles when it was a demonstration sport. But you have a situation now where the International Olympic Committee recognized the International Federation of American Football as a governing body, a key step in eventually getting the sport to the Olympics. The International Federation of Flag Football has 74 member nations and sponsors major events like the men's and the women's flag and uh, all sorts of other things. The NFL's Olympic push, where they're pushing for not tackle football, but flag football, is the latest, uh, but not its only effort, to bring flag football to the masses. This has been building for years. NFL flag has been around since 1994, and that is the country's largest flag football league. That's sponsored by the NFL. There's over 1,600 teams, over 500,000 kids. And last year, the NFL partnered with Nike, to, well, I guess now it's two years ago, to incentivize states to offer girls high school flag football. The NFL Network helped the American Flag Football League get off the ground. Even they did away with the Pro Bowl now. And they're replacing the Pro Bowl, which was a conventional uh, tackle football game, with a whole bunch of contests, including a flag football game. So the NFL is investing big time in flag football. And it presents an interesting dichotomy for them and for us. And when I say for us, I mean as football viewers, which I am, and as parents. Because you're seeing growing concussion awareness. And again, we don't know what happened with DeMar Hamlin. So we, it'd be, it's premature for me to say that if he was playing flag football instead of tackle football, he wouldn't have collapsed. But as premature as it is, I think there's a good bet that that's the case. On the one hand, football is football. And more people participating in any version of the sport is beneficial for everybody, especially the league. On the other hand, the NFL embracing flag football is in a way – Acknowledging that their own product is dangerous. Part of flag football's growing popularity is a direct result of parents' safety concerns. And I'll tell you, before Brett Favre became so controversial for trying to rip off the taxpayers and everybody else and do all the controversial things he's, they're trying to throw him out of the NFL Hall of Fame for, before that, he was in a uh, public service announcement about a year and a half ago, and we played this at the time where it starts out, it's a commercial of a youth football player, and then the youth football player morphs into Brett Favre. It's it's kind of a visual thing, but I want you to listen to what the kid says and what Brett Favre says. And this was a, a, a PSA designed to, or targeting parents, to not allow their children to play tackle football. Listen to this. Mom, Dad, let's talk about tackle football. I just learned about CTE. 
The brain disease caused by repeated hits to the head. The more years I play, the more I'm at risk. If you put me in tackle today. By the time I'm a senior in high school, I'll have played 13 years of tackle football. I could already have CTE, and it will continue to destroy my brain even after I stop playing. So by the time I'm your age, I could be fighting depression, struggling to keep my thoughts straight. I could become violent, even towards my own children. When I'm your age, what will matter to me is not my youth football career, but that like you, I'm a great parent and I can provide for my family. So please, keep me out of tackle football until I'm 14. I do wonder if the sun is setting on tackle football and if maybe it should. Maybe it should. The game of football used to be a whole lot more dangerous. And you know who saved it as a sport? My hero, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt took all the college presidents into the White House. Teddy Roosevelt was a football fan and a sports fanatic. And he said, and people were, were literally getting killed in football games. And Teddy Roosevelt said, look, you guys had better clean up your act or I am going to go forward and ban football. And they didn't think a president could do this. But with Teddy Roosevelt, you don't really want to find out. So they made all sorts of changes to football at the time. One, you ever see, you know, photographs of those players? They, it was more like almost rugby back then. And they had those leather helmets that didn't offer much protection at all. They legalized the forward past. They abolished the dangerous mass formations. You ever see a video or a movie of what football looked like back then? It was more like rugby. Um, it, they created a neutral zone between the offense and the defense and doubled the first down distance to 10 yards uh, from uh, from five yards, and they made it so that you have four downs to get that first down instead of three downs, which was the old rule. So maybe this is the next evolution for safety's sake. Maybe this is the next chapter of football's evolution. I realize, look, I'm a traditionalist. I'm an old school guy. I realize that may sound like sacrilege, but how many times do we need to see players, not just professionals, not just collegiate players, but teenagers, getting hurt? And as you heard from Brett Favre, again, I want to stress this is pre-scandal Brett Favre. It was okay to listen to what he was saying back then. How How many more players do we need to see get hurt like this? What do you think? 800-848-9222. I don't want to be insensitive to DeMar Hamlin and what he's going through right now. But unfortunately, the only time where we really ever examine big changes and big ideas like this, whether it's life preservers on cruise ships after what happened with the Titanic, whether it's uh, banning, banning, um, you know, the device, the that allows a weapon to act more like a an automatic weapon, the uh, gun stock that after the Las Vegas shooting. We only tend to look at these things after a tragedy, and this is a real tragedy. So uh, I'm curious, bump stocks, that's the word I was looking for, yeah. Um, 800-848-9222, tell me what you think. Mike is in South Carolina. Mike, Happy New Year. Frank, Happy New Year. Welcome back. And I'm a leadoff hitter. Usually I was always in the number two hole on the baseball diamond. But uh, uh, my son, uh, Cortland, I was telling Kent, 
Uh, he was 28 yesterday. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, I mentioned on your show before, Frank, and great topic. Um, uh, I think eventually, uh, like right now, they should do away with, with kickoffs because everyone's full throttle. And uh, when I played hardball, I broke my nose three times, dislocated my elbow. You know, collision at home plate, this and that. But this, this young man, 24 Buffalo Bills, your chest is unprotected. Right. You got shoulder tears, knee pads, and you're exactly right about, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt. You got to go to Oyster Bay, Sagamore Hill. You know, when you look at the footage, and I love my sports, I love my music. You look at the leather helmets and this and that, and people were literally getting killed. Right. And, you know, I don't, blame, I don't blame you and others, Frank, when you mentioned about Carmine. You'd rather not have him play football. Tackle football, tackle football, at least as a youth. You know, again, when he, again, when he's older, right. he can make his own decisions. But, but yeah, I, I mean, right. I would, I love the game of football. I would love him to, uh, to play flag football or two hand touch or something along those lines. But, but yeah, I, and again, I recognize there are other people that disagree. You know, I spoke with Fred Dreyer on this show, and uh, right. he made a convincing case that the problem is not tackle football. He made the convincing case is that. Um, th- that uh, youth football players don't learn how to tackle properly. Maybe that's true, but I still, I still am very reticent to, uh, you know, to, to, yeah. you know, allow my son to play it. There has to be sweeping changes in the game of football. And I said to Ken, I, I mentioned on the show, you know, we played ball against each other. I was at Mike Francis's retirement party. Two sons played football. You know, they're teenage years now, whatever. But uh, you know, I don't blame parents for saying, "Hey, wait a minute." I don't want my son playing football until sweeping changes have to be made. They really do. They really do, Frank. Uh, all right. I uh, hope you made out well in Atlantic City. I hope, uh, you know, luck is the residue of design, Frank. So go get him. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. And, I, I might give some highlights right. in a bit. Thank you very much. 800 if you want to comment on this. Don't worry if you're not into this uh, subject, but I think it's important uh, we are going to get into some other issues throughout the course of the show. But if you want to comment on this, you're welcome to. And I'd certainly love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight Air 2023 inaugural edition. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. something fun for New Year's weekend. Hopefully at least got some time off and uh, got to spend some time with uh, some family and some friends. I was uh, I was thrilled to have a couple days off. We were off three days. I, again, and the way people are reacting to me taking a couple of days off is just staggering. We'll talk about that in a minute. But 
Uh, I went uh, down to Atlantic City. I had my annual New Year's Eve Eve party, as you heard Mike in, in uh, South Carolina mentioned there. I went down on the uh, 29th, and then my wife joined me on the 30th. I spent time on the 29th with, uh, you know, believe it or not, there were two couples that I knew that were not coming down on the 30th. And I, I just don't understand that. If you're going to be in Atlantic City anyway, why not stick around one more day for the gala event that uh, that, that everybody talks about all year round? But um, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, it's funny. They say you're always fighting the last war, meaning every year we see what works well at New Year's Eve Eve and what doesn't work well. And then we make changes for the following party. And um, one of the changes we made this year is we hired some wait staff. And uh, the situation was my wife and several other people, they end up really cleaning and I end up serving and you don't really get to enjoy the party and the house is a mess. And then they're delayed as the bus is trying to take us to our next venue. So we hired a wait staff and I was able to get two waiters and they came to me from different sources. One I found online and he quotes me a price a couple of days before the event. I don't want to, yeah, well, why not? I'll just tell you. So he quotes me a price of uh, $200. Great. Figure people will tip him as well. Strikes me as very reasonable. A three-hour party, maybe, yeah, three-hour party, half hour before to set up, a half hour afterwards to clean up, four hours, $200 strikes me as very reasonable. Friday night and a holiday weekend, absolutely. Then someone else gets back to me who was referred to me by a friend of mine who owns a restaurant down there. What price do you think she quotes me? She quotes me $350. So you have one guy who's asking for two hundred, and, and we wanted two, and this other lady asking for three hundred fifty, and so I said yes to both of them. But I had to tell the three hundred fifty dollar lady, please, you know, don't tell the two hundred dollar guy what you're asking for. But um, and I was still thinking, you know, we have about eighty, eighty something people come to this party, and I had asked everybody to put in ten dollars, and if we have that kind of money, then it's no big deal, even if only uh, half the people. Give the money, then it's uh, no big deal. So I went down early, and uh, I got the opportunity to do a couple things that I don't generally get to do. I love to walk, right? I, I, I walk everywhere. And it's so much fun for me to walk the boardwalk of Atlantic City. But no matter what the weather is, a lot of times my wife gets kind of, uh, you know, she gets tired after a while. You know, so me, I love to walk. So we rented a house. And I ended up walking pretty much the entire length of the boardwalk from where the house was all the way to where the last casino is. About three miles. And then I walked back. So I did about six miles. And I did that a couple a couple of times throughout the evening. So that was fun. But what it gave me the opportunity to do on Friday during the day before Rachel was down there and everything is I would get to do a leisurely stroll along the boardwalk, which is my favorite thing to do. That is by far my favorite Atlantic City activity to do because you see what's going on. You run into people you know. You meet people that you may not know. You pop into the casinos. And so I pop in. I said, let me pop in over at Bally's on the way as I'm walking back to the house. I pop in over at Bally's. I won a little bit. I was uh, hanging out with my friends at the ocean, won a little bit there at Blackjack, won a little bit on – I think roulette, and then uh, I couldn't get near a craps table at the ocean. They had one craps table open. Everything else was closed. So I said, let me pop in over at Bell. Let me 
me get a look at the craps table. Now, Bally's is the only casino in Atlantic City that offers 10 times odds, meaning it's a lot easier to make money, but it's also a lot easier to lose money. And when I've been at uh, similar craps tables in Vegas, which offer similar odds, I lost a mountain of money quickly. I'll spare you the details, but I won a fortune, won a fortune, won all sorts of money. And um, then I go back, prepare for the party. And sure enough, there's uh, not enough money to pay for the servers because even though I made an announcement that it was going to be $10 a person, what a lot of people ended up doing is they ended up tipping the servers directly. And the servers assume it's just a tip. So anyway, it turned out to be a blessing that I won because I had all this cash now for these unreimbursed party expenses, namely the wait staff. And then there was some controversy in how the buses were paid for. I, I thought that uh, all the passengers, because we have a wine and cheese party that where there's food at, and I, in which I cater. And then we have buses pick everybody up from the house to take them to the next venue, which happened to be Bally's. And I was under the impression that they would just pay the bus driver directly. That didn't happen. They wanted to get all the money from one person. I'll let you take one guess as to who that one person was. It was it was me. So I ended up going in my pocket for that. But I said to my friend Anthony, I said, I think what, what happened was uh, it, that was kind of the, the universe's way or karma's way of uh, making sure I had enough money to pay for all these party expenses. I then did subsequently lose that night. Most of the money that I won after I uh, after I uh, had the opportunity to pay for all these things, um, I'm not going to rehash every moment of uh, of New Year's Eve Eve because a lot of people were there, and I don't want to mention some and not others. And we could do a whole hour just on New Year's Eve Eve, and maybe stories about what occurred will trickle out, you know, as they're appropriate to tell. But it was a lot of fun. It's also a lot of work and a, and a lot of time. And, you know, when you're hosting any party, I'm sure you can recognize this from your own experience, you really don't necessarily have the opportunity to sit and uh, talk to people, let alone eat and drink. I didn't have one drink the entire time at the house. I didn't even I didn't even have a chance to have anything to eat. So um, the program honor, we had some honorees this year. We had Richard Helfant from Lucy the Elephant. He was our man of the year. Mayor of uh, Ventnor, Beth Holtzman, was our Woman of the Year. Our exoneree of the year was a fellow I, ca- I helped get out of prison, Rob Giuliano. And our uh, recipient of the Pinky Kravitz Media- Excellence in Media Award was Chuck Darrow. They've all been on the show. Uh, actually, I don't know that Rob has been on the show, but he's a character. We'll have to get him back. But uh, some of the people that were introducing the award recipients, they went on a bit too long. So... Like I said, you're always fighting the last war. That's one key change that we're going to make for next year is maybe tighten up that program. Because if you think about it, I I was a villain for this because you think about it, you get everyone sauced, you get everyone drunk, and then you ask them to sit there quietly for an hour while these speeches go on. It did go on a little bit too long. So rest assured for those of you that attended this year. And we had a lot of listeners that came. Donna from Huntington was there. Uh, uh, Jody, uh, Jody, uh, Jody from Belmar was there. Keith from North Jersey was there. Uh, Vince Miko, uh, Margaret was there. A lot of listeners came, which is great, which is how I'd prefer it. But uh, Mark and Maureen, friends of ours, they, they, they're big listeners. They were there. Uh, that's one change that we're going to make for uh, for next year. But it was a, it was a lot of fun. And uh, Meryl 
who's a big listener of ours, she created this phenomenal artwork, which was basically a drawing of the house where we had the party based on, I don't know, must have been Google, Google Maps or something. But it's beautiful. I'm going to post it on Facebook probably tomorrow at uh, Facebook.com or today, later today after the show, Facebook.com slash Moranofan. But she was very creative. She not only posted it, but she put flying saucers around the house in the sketch. It's really well done. I'm gonna when we go to break. I'm gonna I'll post it on uh, Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. But a, a good time was had by by me and hopefully by all. Then I know it, it was. Uh, it's a lot of running around. For, I don't understand the people that come down just for the party and then go home that night and drive back to Manhattan or wherever else. That is, uh, that's something. So hopefully people will not do that next year. The one detriment that I experienced was when we were leaving the next day, I couldn't find my keys. So I thought, because I didn't drive down there, Rachel and I share a car now. I went down with my friends and Rachel came down separately. I thought maybe when we couldn't find it, we searched every room in this house. I thought maybe when we couldn't find the keys that uh, maybe I didn't take them. Maybe I thought to myself before I left, you know, why take them? You don't need them. You're not driving. Rachel's coming down. Why risk losing them? Sure enough, as soon as we got home, I saw that I did lose them. So right now I'm without keys. And my whole life is on this keychain. You have, uh, I have uh, my key fob, which costs about $150 to replace for the car. I have my uh, house keys, my mom's house keys, my Uncle Steve's house keys, and I'm sure a whole bunch of other keys that I don't even know what are there to. Not to mention my um, keychain library card, a bunch of other things. So that was a bummer. That was the only really kick in the stomach is losing my keys. But I'm re- I've reached out to the owner of the house, and I'm hoping she will launch a full-scale investigation to find those keys. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anything at all. So a uh, big thank you to everyone that came. Key takeaways for me is it was a lot of fun, a lot of work. The The thing that I'm proudest of with this party and every party that I throw, quite frankly, is the eclectic crowd that, uh, that we assemble. You know, one of the people that came, and it was the first time I met him in person. I've interviewed him on the radio, but he's based in Florida, so I usually don't see him. One of the people that came is John Boyd. John Boyd is a dynamic real estate guy and uh, an expert on finance and a, a bunch of other things. And he, he, the first thing he said to me is, you know, you are Mr. New Year's Eve Eve. You own New Year's Eve Eve. So sometimes I'm tempted to leave this to somebody else to organize but then hearing a comment like that from John Boyd, it just leads me to think, yeah, you know what? I am Mr. New Year's Eve Eve. I am the Dick Clark of, of New Year's Eve Eve. Um, although I, I don't know that Dick Clark ever lost his keys on, uh, on New Year's Eve. But uh, it was a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll learn the lessons from this year and make next year an even better experience. All right. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with James in Yonkers. Hello, James. Hey, Frank, how are you? I enjoy the show. Thank you. Pretty no unique show. I beg your pardon? No, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess what I wanted to call about it, I guess is more 
kind of a question for you, your listeners. I mean, I don't have a definitive answer on it, but we have to ask ourselves, how much do we want to or can we sanitize the world? For example, whether it's with sports and there's, you know, baseball puts up the nets for the fans not to get hit. And I'm not advocating that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't care about people getting injured. I absolutely do. And, you know, I wish this gentleman the best, as I'm sure uh, most everybody sure, does. Absolutely. But, you know, whether it's walking through a parking lot and tripping in a pothole and suing the person that owns the parking lot, or my father worked on an assembly line building jet engines, and there's a certain amount of risk that that he accepted, whether that's you know, um, you know, listen, if he knew he was going to get cancer from doing that, he might not do it. But in the back of your mind, you always know that there's a certain amount of risk to certain things, some things more than others. At what point do we expect ourselves or teach our children that life is without risk? And and humans, whether it's exploring or, um, you know, jobs or extreme sports, I think we accept a lot of risks, some risks more directly. But like I said, some I get in a car every day, just as I'm sure the majority of your listeners do. And there's unspoken risk there. So the question to you and your listeners is, how much do we try to sanitize life or expect that we can sanitize life? Well, look, I, James, you raise such a good point, And it's a point that really hits home with me. Because, uh, and you could tell by the segments that I've done with Lenore Skenazy, if you've heard them over the years, that I'm an advocate in providing um, less hovering supervision of children than currently exists by a lot of parents these days. That being said, I don't think if, now, again, I hope, as you said, and I think this is the one thing everybody agrees on, that DeMar Hamlin recovers quickly and he's 100%. But let's say, worst case scenario, DeMar Hamlin doesn't make it. Let's say he ends up dying because he played a game. Should you really be playing a game where death is a realistic possibility? So um, I don't know the answer to your question about uh, how much do we sanitize society. But I think at the very least, we sanitize society enough so that if you're playing a recreational game, you have a a almost 100% chance of not suffering a life-threatening injury from it. No, and, and listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of approaching this from the standpoint where I'm not claiming I know the answer, right? So I'm not advocating for total sanitization. I'm not advocating for not sanitizing. Now, you made a good point. You said a recreational game. For him, it's, it's not so – it is recreation. But it's not recreational anymore when he's doing that maybe to support a family, to support a wife. You know what I mean? So to play devil's advocate, I guess, against my point, people might say, well, you know, if he was getting paid $50,000 a year, he might not take on that risk. So is it fair to court players who might otherwise not accept the risk for a salary that they might not make elsewhere and say, you know what, uh, I might not like the risk of you know, getting per- traumatic brain injury, but for X millions of dollars a year, maybe I'll do it. Yeah, you know? I, I get and, that. Look, and, and if, in the history yeah. of civilization, going back to the days of uh, the Romans and the Colosseum, uh, there have been many instances of 
people dying in the in the sport of entertaining others. I just think sure. in the 21st century, I don't think that's something that, that that's necessary. And, and again, I don't pretend to – and I love all your questions and I love the thoughtful way that you approach it, obviously. I don't uh, sure. pretend to have all the answers either, but yeah. I'll tell you, this, this is another instance to me, uh, another point against the continuation of – tackle football in its current form. But uh, I, everything you said really resonates with me, James. Thank you. 800-848-9222. I'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I'm so excited, which, of course, was a personal favorite of uh, Jesse from Saved by the Bell. But uh, it's from the Pointer Sisters. I actually did not know this. If I knew it, I forgot it. That um, just a few days ago, Anita Pointer from the Pointer Sisters passed away. She died on uh, New Year's Eve in uh, Los Angeles. So I'm sorry to hear that. I love the Pointer Sisters. I think they produced some great songs over the years, including this one. So sorry to hear that. She was... um, she was uh, the age of 74, so uh, still far too young. A great talent, certainly. All right. Um, every interaction that I have on social media is one more. You know, it's funny. I was reading the Wall Street Journal yesterday, and there's a, an interview with uh, a, a professor who's an interesting guy, Jonathan Haidt, on the national crisis of Gen Z. And uh, basically, one of the things that he proposes, maybe we'll look into this later in the week. One of the things that he proposes is not allowing children under the age of 16 to use social media. And I don't know that any of the problems that I'm seeing on social media are helped by an age restriction. Because I don't know what it is about social media, but... For some reason, there's something that clicks in people's brain in the world of social media where they decide, not everybody, not everybody, because some people are nice. I'd like to think I'm nice. Where people just decide, okay, I'm going to now be a jerk. I don't know what these people are like in their own lives and in person to deal with. They can't all be jerks. There is a much higher proportion of morons in the world of social media than there is in real life. So I posted, if you want to follow me on Twitter, for instance, at Frank Morano, that's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O, you might remember, speaking of health issues that athletes have dealt with, I said a couple of weeks ago that a great wrestler, a second-generation wrestler, Barry Windham, had uh, suffered a massive heart attack and was in the ICU, and his family was having a tough time paying medical bills 
So I one of the things that they are doing on Barry's website, barrywindhamofficial.com, is uh, they are selling T-shirts, really cool T-shirts, of Barry Windham. And I bought one, even though, you know, I don't really wear T-shirts, but I bought one. And so on New Year's Day, I put this shirt on and put out a photo of explaining what happened and why I was wearing the shirt. And you could see it at Frank Morano on Twitter in the hopes that more people would buy this shirt. I don't get anything from it, but I'm hoping Barry Windham's family does. But you can't really, you're limited. Even in the Elon Musk era, you're limited in what you can share on Twitter in terms of characters. You're limited to 240. Facebook, there's no limit. So on Facebook, I put the same photo up there with basically the same comment. Because I mentioned, you know, it makes a great gift, even if you're not a wrestling fan. If you know someone that is a fan of pro wrestling, especially in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, they'd probably like the T-shirt. It's a great shirt. It lists all his championships on the back of it. Very Four Horsemen themed. So if you're nostalgic as I am for that era of the Four Horsemen with uh, Lex Luger and Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, Tully Blanchard, J.J. Dillon, and obviously the Nature Boy Ric Flair, then, then it's a fun shirt. And all I was trying to do was let people know they could buy the shirt and the money would go to Barry Windham's family. That's it. That's all I was trying to do. And sure enough, it's like it doesn't matter what you do or post on social media. People will rush, not everybody, but certainly enough people rush to talk about whatever they want to talk about, number one, and number two, to bash me. And again, why are you even following me if you don't like me? So one person writes... Get back to work. Curtis and Dom are probably tired. (laughs) Now, I ignore it. And then someone else writes, I know, I'm tired of Curtis. Now, forget about, nobody's talking about Barry Windham. No one's talking about the T-shirt. No one's talking about the fact that this guy and his family are going to have a difficult time paying for the cost of a a hospitalization. Um, Another guy writes... Uh, something to the effect of um, wh- how many, uh, oh, uh, something to, uh, I think he may have actually deleted his comment now. But a guy writes, uh, I uh, I can't believe how many days Frank has taken off. Yeah, he did delete this, right? Uh, how many days Frank has taken off. At, see, at some places, usually it's the veterans that get to take off a lot of days, but apparently here it's guys like Frank and Sid Rosenberg that get to take the days up. And I respond to this guy. I said, I took literally three days off for the entire holiday season. And the previous week I worked an extra shift for three or four days, including on Christmas, where I was supposed to be off. So, like, don't come to me and say that I, I'm forcing these people to go work in a coal mine somewhere. And then another person writes, uh, Curtis works hard. Yes, Curtis has been uh, on the air covering a lot, but some of us enjoy listening to his updated accounts of what's going on in our city and our world. I'm not particularly a Frank Morano nor Sid Rosenberg fan. By the way, this is posted on my fan Facebook page. Fine. Yet these two are acknowledged and praised highly. Curtis, 
This is a post about Barry Windham having a heart attack. This is where all these comments are. Curtis needs to be acknowledged and praised for all the hours he puts in. That much talk ain't easy. And then, you know, when I say to this one guy, look, I took three days off. I did a week's worth of extra shifts, including on Christmas, the day that I was supposed to be up. This guy writes, how many extra shifts? How many days did Dominic and Curtis take off? How many extra shifts did Dominic and Curtis cover? In your, uh, and, and then he goes and bashes these other hosts. I just, I'm amazed at what people post on social media. When does it stop? Absolutely amazed. You should see the, the, the New Year's Eve Eve related posts. They are too vitriolic even for me to share on the radio, at least at this point. Maybe if I get a little punchy, I'll uh, I'll share some of them later. If you want to join the uh, Facebook group, if you want to see the Barry Windham photo and see this idiocy play out over what people comment on, you can go to Facebook.com slash MoranoFam or you can join the uh, Facebook group. Just search, uh, you know, Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because I know most people are pretty nice, but... Um, for some reason, people just feel the need to just insult strangers, this which I don't, I just don't understand. And so then, speaking of online anonymity producing acrimony and stupidity, there's the New York Radio Message Board, right? And there's a post on there about a radio station in New York and their overnight news coverage and how lacking it is. Now, it's not not the station that I'm on. It's another station. And then so I'm waiting for somebody to say, hey, wait a minute. The number one rated overnight show in New York is actually worth listening to for all the reasons that you cite that this other radio station is deficient. I'm waiting for somebody. And so nobody, nobody mentions me. Nobody. And so I post in the Morano Radio Fans and Haters Facebook group, hoping that someone will come to my defense. And then um, two listeners right away said, yeah, I just posted something. Someone else said, yeah, I just posted something. And then I realized, okay, this is pretty low rent on my part for me to be begging on social media for people to go on to a message board run by a dentist and and say something nice about me. So I deleted my post because I feel like that puts all of my insecurities way too far out there. And sure enough, these people, the the Moranoites, they posted on the radio message board their comments were not approved. So what is going on on this radio message board where the negative Frank Morano comments those can get posted just fine. Somebody wants to say something nice, forget about it. How dare you? They're, they're, um, they're censored like, uh, like they're writing about Hunter Biden's laptop or something. All right, 800-848-9222. Larry is on Long Island. Hello there, Larry. Hey, Frank. Uh, you know, the NFL, this is going to be just a blip, no matter what happens to the gentleman. Hopefully he recovers. Uh, football and gambling, is there any two organizations that are bigger combined than gambling and football? It is too big a lobby. Nothing will change. Look, football over the years has, and a lot of people complain about it, they have pasteurized the game. They have softened it up 
to protect players as much as they can. They've changed helmets. They've done a lot of things. But in the end, it's all about money. Thank Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Hello? Matter. That's the end note you wanted to end on, Larry? No, I just wanted to say something. Football is so strong, is so powerful that... All right, Larry, I'm sorry. We're going to have to make that the last word. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I read just about all of the email that's sent to me. If you ever want to email me, you can do so at frank.morano. That's M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCradio.com. In fact, a little bit later, we're going to read some of your correspondence on the air. Uh, We're overdue for a trip to our P.O. box. So I don't have any of the print correspondence, but if you want to send me an email, you can. Frank.Morano at WABCradio.com. And I've noticed a pattern over the course of the last two years. Generally, people that are really upset with me, and I'm not, uh, uh, not I'm very ups- or upset by something that I've said or vehemently, di- vehemently disagree and think that I'm a jerk because I've said or done something on the radio. They're, they fit a pattern. Their emails fit a pattern. Sometimes I know the sender. Sometimes I don't. But the – how can I put this politely because I want these people to keep listening to me. All right. The people that are – always really upset by something that I've done on the radio or something that I've said, they are functionally illiterate. The emails they send to me are loaded with spelling errors, grammatical errors, syntax errors. They're filled with sentence fragments. They make no sense. And the the angrier they are at me, the more incoherent their email to me is. So, um, and I'm not talking about people that disagree. Look, I say a lot of things that I, I listen back to and I think, oh, oh okay. Uh, I I could understand why people disagreed with that. But um, it's the people that are really upset about what I've said and done on the radio. They tend to be, one, incredibly rude, and two, functionally illiterate. So I mentioned that. Because I did a subject the last time I was on the radio when I was filling in for Sid Rosenberg, so many of you may not have heard that, where it elicited quite a few, well, quite a few, seven or eight emails that I think people were pretty upset by. And these emails were incredibly polite, incredibly thorough incredibly kind, incredibly fair, but they were just as upset as the illiterates that usually write to me. And I thought to myself, self, either you're wrong, meaning me, or you need to do a better job explaining your opinion. Because it's one thing for me to get a a bunch of people that can't spell and can't put a coherent sentence together and, um, you know, are 
remaining in the two-digit IQs if you spot them 50 IQ points. It's another thing to upset people that are really nice and very kind and uh, polite and know how to spell cat without being spotted the C and the T. So I said, let me let me revisit this when I come back. So I want to do that. You remember the situation, the controversy involving Whoopi Goldberg a few months ago? I think it was back in February, well, February of um, of last year. Whoopi Goldberg and her comments about the Holocaust. This is what she said, and, and I want to preface this by saying, I'm not, you know, necessarily a Whoopi Goldberg fan. She's done some work that I like. I uh, enjoyed her very much on Star Trek The Next Generation. I liked her in Ghost. But most of what she has done, eh, I could take or leave it. It's fine. But I, I would never run to a, a movie, a, a multiplex or to a television screen because, oh, my goodness, it's Whoopi Goldberg. No, I mean, she, if she happens to be in something that I like, I'll, I'll watch it. I won't not watch it because she's in it. But I, I certainly wouldn't call myself a fan. I certainly am not a fan of her political commentary. I find her commentary pretty one-sided and pretty shallow. But this was the comment that she made about the Holocaust in February that caused such a stir. Let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. No. No. It's well, not about race. It's... it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. She was suspended for that for, I think, two weeks. But um, she created quite a stir. It was one of the most talked about things in the media for some time. And when she did come back on the air, she apologized. It is indeed about race because Hitler and the Nazis considered Jews to be an inferior race. Now, words matter, and mine are no exception. I regret my comments, as I said, and I stand corrected. I also stand with the Jewish people. And she goes on. So she apologized, and the controversy was largely over until last week. During Hanukkah, in an interview with a, a British newspaper, Whoopi Goldberg, well, the, the interview was shared during Hanukkah. I don't know when she gave the interview, but she gave an interview suggesting that Jews are divided on whether they're a, rela- a race, a religion, or both. This is a quote from the article. Quote, my best friend said, not for nothing, not for nothing is there no box on the census for the Jewish race. So that leads me to believe that we're probably not a, a race, she recalled. Now, that's what she said. She says that she was just trying to explain her prior confusion and her prior ignorance. She wasn't trying to double down on that. And she reiterates what she said in that apology that I played for you, that um, Jews, you know, the Jews are a race. She made a statement that said her remarks were taken out of context and were a response to comments she made about the Holocaust earlier last year. And um, she, this is her quote to the USA Today. Recently, while doing press in London, I was asked about my comments from early, earlier this year. I tried to convey to the reporter what I had said and why and attempted to recount that time. It was never my intention to appear as if I was doubling down on hurtful comments, especially after talking with and hearing people like rabbis and old and new friends weighing in. Now, to me, 
I think that is a perfectly reasonable explanation. I have not seen a pattern of anti-Semitic behavior from Whoopi Goldberg like you've seen from Kyrie Irving and Kanye West and others. I think that's a pretty acceptable explanation. So I thought the comments from the head of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, rushing to denounce her were um, opportunistic. And I said so. And what kills me, not just about the Anti-Defamation League, but anyone that heads a group that stands up for somebody, especially to keep them from being victimized. Well, Al Sharpton, for instance, has fashioned himself as uh, the leader of black people, and he will stand up against racism everywhere. Uh, black Lives Matter. They've, uh, they've fancied themselves a group that is going to stand up whenever a cop uh, abuses a black person. Uh, Back in the day, the Italian-American Civil Rights League. Heaven forbid there should be a slur against Italians on radio or TV. They will be picketing in front of your place of business. So what I said was, in words or substance, that I – and a lot of people did agree with me on this, by the way, including a lot of Jewish people. But I was just struck by the tone of the emails that I got on this. What I said was, I think – Whoopi Goldberg's apology and her, not uh, apology, her clarification should be accepted. It sounded perfectly reasonable to me. And two, uh, I thought this could have been handled so much better by Jonathan Greenblatt and the ADL. I think if he really did think that her comments were a doubling down of anti-Semitism, he could have reached out to her directly and said so. And if she, if she rebuffed him, and he or she offered an explanation to him that was inadequate, then you run to the press and put out a statement. But what I said was, and I believe this, that I think groups like the ADL, not just Jewish groups, but groups of every possible ethnicity, groups like the ADL, they are almost waiting in perpetuity to be outraged by something. They almost are always waiting to pounce without nuance, without explanation, without waiting for explanation. They're waiting to dive in and be upset publicly, publicly. And I said I thought that part of the reason for that was publicity and, yes, the donations that come with publicity. And I I don't want to reinforce any um, anti-Semitic tropes about uh, Jewish people and money, but... Um, And that's what some of the people said that I sounded like I was doing, and I don't want to do that. But I think it could apply just as well to an Asian group or a black group or an Italian group or a a Russian group, although that's a group of people whose civil rights we don't care – who we don't care about slurring these days, the Russians. But um, I I believe that. I really do believe that. I think Whoopi's explanation was a fine one, and I think Jonathan Greenblatt could have handled this better – And I think the reason that he handled – and I've learned this from my own life when I was involved in politics or trying to get some publicity for myself. If you attack someone – and I regret a lot of the things that I did for publicity over the years in this respect um, because it's just cheap press and it's not really conducive to furthering a conversation or accomplishing anything. Um, 
I think what these groups do is they run to the press because they know, as I knew, as I understood, that the easiest way to get news coverage is to attack someone. Um, and I think that's kind of what the ADL was doing here. So I hope um, that provides a little greater context to the remarks that I was trying to make when I was filling in for Sid the other day. Certainly didn't mean to upset anybody. And uh, those of you that wrote to me and said you understood what I said and agreed with what I said, I certainly appreciate that as well. If you want to comment, you certainly can. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'm also keeping an eye on this vote for Speaker of the House today. I don't know if Kevin McCarthy is going to make it. And, look, I have said that what I hope is um, that there's some sort of – a unity ticket, but um, we'll see. Uh, I'd love to see, for instance, the Democrats and moderate Republicans back a sensible person. One of the candidates that uh, that one of the congressmen, Republican congressmen, I'd love to see is somebody like uh, Dave Joyce. Uh, That is a guy, Republican from Ohio, that seems very interested in actually governing and accomplishing things and not playing to the cheap seats. Um, all right, but you can comment on that if you like, or anything else we've covered. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Alan Yonkers. Hello, Al. Frank, hello to you, and a uh, happy new year. Thank you. Likewise. Frank, you know, I just want to say uh, with regards to Whoopi Goldberg, you know, I really don't watch The View. Right, neither do uh, I. Because it's too progressive for me. Uh, but I think she's okay as a, a moderator. But I, I don't know the specifics. I know she made a comment uh, some months ago when she was suspended. Uh, you know, when you're in a public role like that, uh, you know, on the TV, uh, dealing with millions of people, you have to watch what you say. Uh, we saw in 1984 when Jesse Jackson was running for the Democratic nomination for president. Right. Uh, and he, you know, he made the comment, Jaime Town. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to be careful. And I think the reason why the Jewish community is so concerned now, uh, a lot of people might say, oh, it's, uh, they're paranoid. But we see what's going on. Today in the New York Post, uh, the billionaire philanthropist uh, Ron Lauder mm-hmm. uh came out and said what we've seen, what's going on in the campuses, the anti-Semitic, uh, you know, acts against the students. Uh, the other day on the radio station, your radio station, WABC, uh, John Katz and Margot Katz, Matides, we saw the former assemblyman Dove Heifkind say that the anti-Semitic acts and the violence are, uh, have gone up a right. lot so what, what, since the pandemic. I, I, I want to so, get to some other people, so just give me your, your, your point. My point is that I, I think you, you just basically, uh, when you're in the public eye, you have to watch what you say. Fair enough. Thank you. I, uh, I do think, though, that uh, you can't expect people never to express a thought that's going to offend anyone. If you want TV or radio shows that are talk shows that are unscripted and you want people speaking off the cuff, I don't think you want them I don't think you want them so terrified that they're not going to say anything and give you a true view of their feelings. 
I think if somebody does say something which is ignorant, as Whoopi Goldberg did there, you do what they did in that circumstance, which is you use it as a, oh, I hate to use the cliche, but as a teachable moment. And uh, she learned from it. I think my point is, I think her explanation of why she gave that interview to the Sunday Times is adequate. She was not doubling down. She was explaining. And I think, you know, if people are trying to have more conversation and create a conducive dial, a dialogue that's conducive to greater understanding of why people say certain things or why people believe certain things. I think those are exactly the kind of conversations that we need to have. I don't think people, even if they're public figures, should be so terrified to say anything or to offer explanation about remarks that they've previously said that they just become these politically correct robots. Now, there's a big difference between that. And you remember when Michael Savage, for instance, was on um, the MSNBC and uh, he called a caller uh, a sodomite and said, you should only get AIDS and die, you pig. There's a big difference in saying something like that and trying to explain in a newspaper interview your prior comments, which a lot of people were offended by. you got to see the difference. And I like Michael Savage. I'm not trying to pick on him. Just trying to think of people that were suspended or let go because of controversial things that they said. All right, 800-848-9222. Sherry is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Sherry. Boogie Down, you're keeping me up. You're contributing to sleep deprivation. My sympathies, Uh, Sherry. I'll try to get more boring. (laughs) You can't. You're too articulate. Thank you. So here's the deal about Whoopi. Maybe because I'm getting older. You know, my kids are like your age, but I have no patience for this insanity. Well, what Whoopi said, I, I didn't, I heard about it afterwards, so I didn't see the show that time. Uh, you know, she was correct in the sense, well, this harkens back to um, a race. Are we, we, I'm Jewish, yay. Are we a race? What is it? Was this and that? In that sense, you know, that was correct because, uh, you know, rabbis will tell you this as well and other, you know, scholarly folks. Um, the reason, you know, when people say, oh, Someone, this one's Italian, this one's French, this one's Jewish. You know, you hear the difference. You know, it's not a nationality. And uh, what the scholarly ones will say is that that's because uh, the Jews came from so many different regions, you know, so that it, so there was that. Now, that was the, you know, newsy big stuff. The other thing I want to say has nothing to do with news. Uh, if you don't find those keys soon... Um, seriously, don't be penny wise and pound foolish. You should change your locks and then get new keys. All that's right. Well, I'm that's really- good advice, uh, Sherry. Thank, <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. And again, I, my point was not to address Whoopi's initial comments, right? Because we, people spent a lot of time going over that at the time. My point is to address her explanation of the Sunday Times and the reaction from the head of the ADL, which I thought was excessive. You know, look, if you're and I I always say the same thing about and I'm not comparing Jonathan Greenblatt to one of these random Twitter trolls, but I do always say the same thing. I feel like there's this whole group of people out there that is just waiting to be offended by something. And I think a lot of times they do it publicly. Because you get attention from it, right? Uh, My friend Bill Donahue of the Catholic League, for instance. He, if there's any hint 
of anything anti-Catholic uttered by anyone, Bill runs to put out a press release denouncing it. And he gets his name in the paper and his group's name in the paper, and they're able to raise money because of the increased profile they have. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad strategy, but I do think it is one that is not conducive to communication, learning, healing. I think it's a strategy that leads to greater divisions in society. 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The look of love is in. following the news regarding the collapse of uh, DeMar Hamlin, uh, the latest is apparently that uh, DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest in the game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field and his condition is critical. Uh, Anything else, Ken, that we uh, can add? All right. Well, Kenneth is our uh, sportsmeister. He is monitoring the situation and uh, we will bring you any updates as they unfold. So we're wishing him the best, and a speedy recovery. It's funny. Another athlete that um, that dealt with an issue regarding a, a heart attack recently, a couple of years ago, and a lot of people thought was not going to make it, was my favorite pro wrestler of all time, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Do you hear the scream? Do you hear the shriek? You notice that all the big women, the mature women in the audience today are about to lose it because the nature boy, the world's heavyweight wrestling champion stands before you. Uh, Ric Flair is my favorite wrestler of all time. I've said this before. Nobody, in my view, in the history of the business like Ric Flair, a 16-time at least heavyweight champion of the world. He's held the world championships in many different wrestling promotions, WCW, NWA, WWF. The guy is just incredible. He's an incredible in-ring performer. He's an incredible out-of-ring performer. And if you're not a pro wrestling fan, it's difficult. Uh, Flair, by the way, claims that number 16 is inaccurate. He claims that number is 21. But most official records recognize 16 title ranks. But still, you get the point. 
the guy has a flair for the gold. And um, it was really interesting. I saw he was promoting this documentary called Woo, Becoming Ric Flair. And it's on Peacock, and I watched it uh, over the weekend, finished watching it yesterday. And I have to tell you, it wa- if you're a Ric Flair fan, this is a must-watch. Now, it is very similar to the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary that they did on Ric Flair about two years ago. So you don't, honestly, if you saw the 30 for 30 documentary, you don't need to see this one. They tell many of the same stories. It's a little more detailed. So if you're such a Ric Flair fanatic like I am, that you're just eager for more and more, more Flair content, then you could probably see it too. They get into a little more detailed certain aspects of his life and his career. I mean, the guy, forgetting about his wrestling career, the guy has battled alcoholism. The guy has dealt with uh, health issues. The plane crash that he was in where he broke his back in three places. The guy was literally struck by lightning. He's dealt with a lot of family tragedy. He's on his fourth wife, which anybody that's that's been married knows is not an easy thing to do. So it was really well done, but it was uh, to some extent a rehash of some of the stories in the um, in the in the uh, ESPN documentary. The other thing, this was produced in partnership with the WWE, so it does ignore certain non-WWE aspects of his career, uh, meaning his time in TNA wrestling uh, and the controversy over uh, some of the things that Rick has said that have been controversial over the years. Not much attention at all paid to the controversy over Ric Flair's last match because that wasn't a WWE production. So it's not it's it's very good. But it's not exactly complete and it is a little duplicative of um the 30 for 30 documentary. But if you are a fan of the dirtiest player in the game and let's face it, if you were a wrestling fan in the 80s or 90s, I I imagine there's a good many of us who were, then it's an enjoyable watch. It's a stroll down memory lane. It's informative. You know, my my barometer for a documentary for a subject that I know well is did I learn something from it? Like, I thought that I knew a lot about Theodore Roosevelt. And then I watched the Ken Burns documentary on Theodore Roosevelt, and I realized I knew nothing about Theodore Roosevelt. I thought that I knew a lot about uh, the O.J. Simpson case. I watched the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on the O.J. Simpson case. I realized I didn't know anything about the OJ case. I watched this Ric Flair documentary and it was really well done and it was interesting to hear everybody's perspective. Ultimately, there was only one thing that I learned about Ric Flair and his life. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it because it is if it was new to me, chance starts gonna be new to many of you. But it's streaming on Peacock if you want to watch it. And uh just seeing how great Ric Flair was as an in-ring performer, but especially as someone with the best mic skills around. Well, let me tell you something, Santana. It takes more than a pair of wrestling boots and a pair of trunks and a bogus diamond earring to be something this point. And these two punks walking around in their mother's underwear trying to tell the world they're ready to wrestle. It's an insult to me. 
So it is well done, uh, but uh, there are other. It's not. It's far from perfect. Okay, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Peter in Harlem. Hello, Peter. Hey, what's up, Frank? There isn't a film that's been produced that didn't have a point of view in the process of being made, but that's not what I'm calling about. I'm calling about the fact that if someone said to me that slavery and any other atrocity is a product of man's inhumanity to man, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's getting at the root of a problem. So, in effect, I... I would like to know how many men actually watched the view, but I think that that point of view was taken out of hand, and I think it's selective indignation when it comes to black people. In other words, when blacks say something, I think all segments of other populations seem to think that blacks should know it, even if it's true. All right, well, fair enough, Peter. I'm not going to argue with you uh, on that. I do think Whoopi Goldberg would have been in some trouble with her remarks early on, even if she was white. But you may disagree. There's no way to know because she's not white. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Frazier on Long Island. Hello, Frazier. How you doing, Frank? Good. What's on your mind? Um, nothing. I just was wanted to talk about that uh, game tonight. Sure. What's, what's your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they said 65,000 people went there, Right. Right. All right, and um, it only lasted for uh, ten, like minutes. 10 minutes in the first quarter, right? Right. So just think about all those people that were tailgating, you know, eating burgers or whatever and getting hammered, and then they're there only for 10 minutes, and then they got to go, go home. What do you think about that? Well, so we mean you don't think they should have canceled the game? Um, I know it was an emotional, I guess. I didn't really get to see it. I only turned it on because I was doing some other mm-hmm. stuff, and then I turned it on, and the game wasn't on. Well, look, so the, the, I figured. I, I you know, think, I, honestly, I, Fred. I don't know what's happening. I, I think the delay in them making a final decision about canceling the, the game was precisely due to some of the questions that you raised. I think they made the right decision by canceling it. One, you could tell the players, the coaching staff, and the referees, they were in no. Uh, condition emotionally or yeah, mentally. They probably weren't in the mood, right? But they at, probably weren't in the mood I, after that happened. I That's would guess sure. that a lot of the fans were not in the mood for it. And they're all going to get to go and see the game whenever it resumes. And you get to tailgate twice. You got to look at it that way, right? Get oh, a, no, I, no I, I guess. But, but just think just think if you were out in the parking lot, right, and you had like six beers or something like that, and then all of a sudden you got to leave in like I get half it. an hour. I, I get it, Frazier. I mean, thankfully. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm just. Saying you think they have to sit out in a parking lot now and wait three hours to go home? I, I, I mean, I get it, Frazier. I guess the um, you know, thankfully, incidents like these are pretty rare. And if someone needs to be, if if there's a life potentially life threatening situation on the field, I don't think the fans, most of them anyway, want us to sit there and say, "Oh yeah, go Bills, Bills Mafia." Yeah, I don't think so. I think they're kind of want to know what's going on with DeMar Hamlin and then you resume the game in a few days or a week or whenever. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Leo on the Upper East Side. Hello hello there, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Happy New Year. Likewise. You Thank you. Uh, Frank, I wanted to say something. There is a German saying. I don't know if I can on air actually say what S H I T. Right. Yeah. Don't say that. 
don't say, okay, I'm going to use poop. Uh, there's a German saying which perfectly fit on the Goldberg, what happened, and George Santos. The saying goes, the more you're spreading poop, the more it smells. Meaning, if she would, after the first apology, let it go, don't touch the subject, no matter if she, if she doubled on it or positively tried to explain, if you get back to that subject, it's just a just, uh, taunt against you. And the same is with, with George Santos. If he, after the first apology, would not do 100 interviews, he would be better off than when he goes around and, and do 100 interviews and keep apologizing. Am I right? Well, I, I don't know. Look, I, I mean, I, I you might be right in George Santos because we still don't know the depth of his dishonesty, right? I mean, now yeah. it, it looks like he might have um, – I, I mean, it's just – it looks like nothing about this guy's life is real. In Whoopi Goldberg's case, I think it's a little different because you're dealing with one specific incident that she got in trouble for. You know, George Santos, you know, you catch him in one liar, he admits to one liar, exaggeration, and then what about this one, this one, this one, and this one? So there's always, it seems like there's always one more with uh, George Santos. I think it's a different situation with Whoopi Goldberg. Thank you, though, Leo. 800-848-9222. John is in Nevada. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. I think what the ADL was worried about with Whoopi uh, has to do with the fact that, like, Kanye West, uh, you know, when he got called out recently, he just gave the big middle finger and said, I don't care what you think. This is what I think. And I think other celebrities, uh, when they get caught saying similar things, you have to make your formal apology. You have to meet with your leaders. And then you have to go on TV and say some nice things. And I think what they're worried about was her slipping back into thinking the way she did. When she crafted her apology, uh, when she first got busted, she kind of made it out to me like she learned something, she was changing, and she didn't feel that way anymore. And I think Danielle was just worried that she was playing the apology game and she wasn't genuinely changing her opinion. That's fair, John. And that's where I think a simple phone call from the ADL to Whoopi Goldberg could have obviated a lot of this controversy. I think um, if she were to uh, have this conversation and he came away convinced that she was retrogressing in her views, then uh, by all means, blast her publicly. You know, kill her on that. But uh, or or let you know, give her an opportunity to know. Look, some people are upset by how you phrase this. Give her an opportunity to uh, re-clarify whatever her apology is. I just think to run to the press first, it's um, – I don't think it's helpful uh, to anybody but the ADL, quite frankly. And uh, I would – I say the same thing when um, when Sharpton has done this in the past, when uh, other groups have done this as well. Thank you, though, uh, John. Appreciate it. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Frank. First of all, Happy New Year. You too. And I want to say I thought you were right about social media. I think you're right about Whoopi Goldberg. But the reason why I call this, uh, there's a lot of criticism, not only of you, but of your coworker, Sid Rosenberg, on social media. And also in that uh, game or that segment of the program you have at the end of your show called 15 Seconds of Fame, there's a caller who calls in and says, repeats over and over again, Sid's a moron. Well, Sid Rosenberg is not a moron. He's as far from a moron as 
they could come. He's the complete opposite of a moron. And I'm the caller who calls in and sticks up for Sid Rosenberg and says that the other caller is a moron. And I was Charlie, just wondering a, a what you of, think of that. There's a lot of Sid talk, of, uh, you know, on on a show that he's not on. But go ahead. What's your question? You're wondering well, what I you, think of. Yeah. What what do you think of the caller who calls in and says that your coworker, you, whom you know you work with, is a moron when when you know that that's clearly. Yeah. I mean, not to be case. honest, Charlie, thank you. I, I think we, in the last 40 seconds, we've already spent far more time on this than I care to, so I'm not going to belabor the point more. But look, uh, Sid is not only a very bright guy, he is um, one of the most uh, talented radio people anywhere in the country. Uh, So I think he is, uh, he's just doing a great job in the morning show. I don't know if that guy who calls is, really thinks negatively of him, or if it's just shtick on his part, because he's trying to get under, you know, Sid's, get Sid's goat or something. I I don't know. But I'm insane. I don't really want to spend that much time analyzing it, right? I'd prefer to prefer to move on. All right, 800-848-9222. Carl is in New Jersey. Hello, Carl. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? I think so, Carl. Okay, let, let me be Okay, I, I'm so glad. Thank you. Uh let me be let me be quick. Um to those in the audience Whenever that, someone says <coughs> let me audience, be quick. You may, can maybe bet. at a certain age group. But anyway, I'm going to mention something that a lot of people never heard of. It, um, we're talking about the former Jewish Defense League, which was a group prominent in the 70s and part of the 80s. Let me be as brief as I can. I'm going to I'm going to uh, again. Uh, whenever they say let a me be memorable brief, incident with the Jewish Defense League, an intrepid group that would not put up with any kind of anti-Semitic, whether it be words or acts. And they, believe it or not, an American Nazi group was uh, uh, going to uh, do a stage a march in Skokie, Illinois. This is the late 70s. The JGL got in on it right away, and they threatened. Can you imagine a Jewish group threatening another, an anti-Semitic organization? Wow. Well, they told these American Nazi scumbags they step one toe of a march in Skokie, Illinois, or elsewhere, that the JDL will crush their uh, talkuses. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that word. And I have yet to hear uh, uh, lately in a, uh, any, any uh, whisper or even uh, hint that there should be a restoration of the jo- Jewish Defense League. And there really should be because it will always be needed. But, and that's uh, about all I can say. And to those who remember that group, well, they, they'll know that what I'm saying should be manifested. Um, okay, folks? All Is right. that okay? Yeah, I mean, again, that was a minute and a half. I'd hate to see what would have happened if you weren't being quick. But, Carl, the Nazis did march in Skokie. I, I don't remember that they did. I could uh, – uh, well, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I guess they did. They marched right the hell out of it. Uh, no, the the JDL pretty much uh, uh, prevented no, that. No, their lawyer, I... their lawyer was Alan Dershowitz, and uh, yeah, right. and uh, they marched in Skokie. And you know, I I think Dershowitz is. Uh, I'm, again, I'm not sure what point you're trying to make about Whoopi Goldberg or uh, Mr. Oh. Greenblatt or what I'm saying about any of those things. And um, but you know, I, I think look, this is America. Everybody's got a right to protest, right? The, uh, as horrible as the Nazis might be, I don't think that's at all relevant here, right? I mean, uh, 
I'm not sure what you're suggesting also about bringing back what role the Jewish Defense League would have played in this controversy. Are you saying that they would have gone after Whoopi violently or something? I, I, I just I don't think it's a. I don't think it's an analogous discussion with respect to call. All right, 800-848-9222. We will go through the mail. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Taken from us far too soon. All right, without further ado, let us give you an opportunity to be heard on some issues that you are fired up about. It is time for. Welcome back. Hi, Frank. Welcome back. You were missed. I'm glad that your New Year's Eve Eve went well. Happy New Year. I personally believe what you that what you did regarding the gentleman in the hospital was slash is admirable. Your actions came from the heart. To receive negative remarks regarding your kindness and thoughtfulness is very unfortunate and quite sad. It's also unfortunate that some people did not see the kindness of your actions. Just think they're going through life carrying such negativity with them. Sad. Curtis does a wonderful job promoting your show. It is very evident from my point of view that you have a very unique and caring friendship. The other morning he was talking about a segment that you had asking people to rate how you do your hosting your show. I did not hear that segment. Curtis played a a cut from it. So I'd like to give my rating now a plus. Well, that's nice. Thank you, Linda. Um, Miss M writes, you call out Whoopi because other folks think the same. He's not an opportunist waiting to be outraged. He's trying to stop the bleeding. All the best. Uh, one, Joyce just writes, cat, K-A-T. I guess poking fun at uh, my saying that the people who criticize me often can't spell the word cat if you spot them the C and the T. Uh, Christopher writes, and I actually had this slated for one of my local commentaries tomorrow. 
Very interesting email here. <clears throat> Subject, wedding. Christopher writes, just wondering, how do you feel about Kathy Hochul passing the bill that anyone can officiate a wedding in New York? I, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. And she did. She signed the bill that says now you don't have to be a minister to officiate a wedding. Anybody can do it. And I do have mixed feelings about it. One, because it was kind of special to be a minister, a little special. I mean, anybody could do it, but you at least have to go to the trouble of filling out a form. Uh, to fill, to become a minister is kind of neat to walk around calling myself Reverend Morano. On the other hand, as a public policy matter, not selfish from my point of view, why shouldn't you be able to have anybody you want marry you? I mean, let's say you have very sincere religious beliefs and those beliefs don't necessarily include the Universal Life Church or the or American Marriage Ministries, which are the two churches that I'm ordained to perform weddings in. Why couldn't you have a close friend just do it without having them be ordained and potentially violate some of the precepts of their own faith of their own faith? I think it's probably a good thing. So uh, I haven't thought about it that much other than how it will affect me. So I can still do the other states, though. Um, let's see. A lot, getting a lot of Whoopi Goldberg email here on both sides. A lot of people at the time uh, on both sides of the issue thought I was too harsh. Some people agreed. Hal writes, on the subject of Bill Burns, that was an excellent interview with Bill Burns on December 28th. I was half asleep and it woke me up. I'm about to listen to the first half again. Did he ever discuss Eisenhower's alleged meeting with the gray aliens at any time? I don't know why the personnel of your network doesn't cut some of your segments into smaller podcasts or downloads. I wanted to send that one as a link. I just downloaded the show and edited that segment myself. Would you mind if I posted it to the group? How? We do that. We do that. The individual interviews are available as a separate podcast for precisely what you just said. Um, all you have to do is search uh, on, you know, Red Apple Audio Network or Spotify. You go to redappleaudionetwork.com or you can go to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, and just search Frank Morano Interviews and you get, uh, and hit the subscribe button. You'll get all the interviews isolated so that you could do exactly, exactly that. All right. Um, uh, the, on the subject of my grade, Mike writes, Hello, Frank. Your report card from this side of the radio, A, not an A+, because that would mean perfect, and only God does perfect, according to the Shakers. I've been hooked on talk radio my entire life, I must say, not since Howard left terrestrial radio uh, have I been so addicted. Strengths, dedication to your craft, excellent interviewer, well-prepared, you make it personal, always interesting, even when the topics are out of my purview, you make them interesting. Love your sarcasm and quick wit. You're always polite and courteous to the callers, even when they don't deserve it, etc. Weaknesses, let me think about it. Not anything offhand. Perhaps, maybe, I'm still reading your New Year's Eve email. I'm figuring late winter or early spring on its completion. Always great radio. Thank you, Mike. That's very kind. Uh, Michelle writes, oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. This is, again, on the subject of um, grade. Um, 
Michelle writes, I give you a D because of the lousy things you talk about. Listen to Bill Handel, KFI. He's, for the most part, very interesting. Take some pointers from him. I have listened to him on demand because your show is so bad. The only thing that I listen to is that contest that you have. You know the one where nobody wins? Every now and then I will tune in to see if your show has improved. Well, it really hasn't. Have a happy new year. I'll continue to check in in the coming year, in the coming new year to see if anything changes for the better. The one thing you get an A for is cutting the listeners off who want to go on and on and on. Well, clearly she didn't hear Carl. And I will actually give you an A-plus for that. Frank, you have some of the goofiest listeners. Thank you, Michelle. Um, (laughs) I'll do two more of these. Catherine writes, um, just a reminder, I truly enjoy your show. I work in retail and recently concluded some very late nights. On Saturday, New Year's Eve day and night, I celebrate my birthday. Happy birthday, Catherine. I always get a kick when you mention that you celebrate New Year's Eve Eve, and I get it. When I was younger, it was tough to find any place to go out and celebrate because everything was sold as a New Year's Eve package. Yeah, I know. These days, I celebrate quietly. We'll be working on my birthday, but they close early. Merry Christmas season to you, and a blessed New Year, Catherine. Thank you. I hope you have a happy birthday or had a happy birthday and a happy New Year. This is one that's in the Facebook group, and you can see this for yourself. Just search Morano Radio, fans and haters, and uh, you can see this. This is a good one. It's from Brian. How was your partying in the second most dangerous city in New Jersey? By the way, this is filled with spelling errors and syntax errors and factual errors, as I've described. How was your partying in the second most dangerous city in New Jersey? Please do not come back on the site and complain about the cost. Do want to hear how your mother forced money on you. You like a cigar but don't know one from another. I could give you a $1 blunt and you would not know the difference from an A.J. Fuentes. By the way, you might want to consider a custom suit so it looks like it fits. John Robert in Westfield, New Jersey will do the trick. You're a media star, so the price should be a piece of cake. All right. Well, that's... Uh, that strikes me as an as opportune a moment as any to call it quits on this edition of. If you did not uh, get to sound off, and there's actually a couple of other good questions here that I'm sorry we didn't have time for, but they require a little bit more of a, a detailed explanation. I may save one or two of these for uh, maybe ask Frank anything on Friday, or I'll earmark them for uh, for next Friday, next uh, next Tuesday. But if you want to send a, a snail mail letter, you can do so by sending it to my attention, Frank Morano, or the other side of midnight, to PO Box seventeen seventy seven, New York, New York one zero one six three. One more time, that's uh, attention, other side of midnight, or Frank Morano. P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. One thing I did want to mention is uh, we have a great listener named uh, Janice who has become uh, a friend. She and her longtime companion, Tom, have become friends of mine. And they generally come uh, to New Year's Eve Eve as well, and they're usually the life of the party. Janice, unfortunately, is going through some uh, medical issues, and she was not able to be there This year, so if Janice is listening now, uh, you were sorely missed. 
And um, Hank, uh, who also usually comes and was threatening to bring homemade mozzarella this year, he was not able to be there. And we missed you as well. So uh, we missed everybody that wasn't there, but especially staples like Janice and uh, and Hank. And wishing both of you guys the best of luck with your health and everything that uh, that you have going on. All right. Coming up, it may be Tuesday, but it feels like Monday. That means we will do commendations in mere moments. In the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow. It's Monday, but it feels like... No, it's Tuesday. See? I'm even screwed up. That's what those three-day weekends on a holiday do. It is Tuesday, but it feels like Monday. So we are going to do one of our Monday traditions on Tuesday. Don't get used to it, folks. Those of you that are Tuesday listeners, consider yourself about to be privy to a lucky preview of what those of us that are up early on Monday are accustomed to each and every week. It is time for me to give a pat on the back to a few folks that that deserve one as part of. The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must commend Darren Dowling. This guy is... A man after my own heart. A Scottish man is making major waves online after paying to have a video of himself eating bread broadcast in Times Square. The footage depicted his carb-heavy 15 seconds of fame. That's what the New York Post referred to it as. Currently boasts nearly 170,000 views on TikTok. Do you know what it cost him to become a phenom for 15 seconds? He got somebody in Times Square to videotape it, and then it was uploaded to TikTok and everything. 40 bucks. 40 bucks. That's wild. This guy's being talked about all over the world now because he ate bread on camera and paid 40 bucks to have it broadcast in Times Square. I think that is phenomenal. I give him credit for creativity. I give him credit for ingenuity. And uh, he seems like he has a great sense of humor besides. I'm glad it's working out for him. Hey, I want to give a posthumous commendation to Barbara Walters. Uh, I think everybody is well aware of the history of Barbara Walters and the the history that she not only helped cover but helped make. She was an award-winning journalist, and she broke in at a time when anchors and female reporters Uh, where female anchors and female reporters were far from the norm. And she's had the kind of career that most journalists can only dream about. Her work on The Today Show, her work uh, as an evening news anchor, her work anchoring primetime specials. I was a big fan of hers on uh, 2020. That's where I got to be a big fan of hers. And honestly, there may be some criticisms of Barbara Walters, I don't think you can doubt what a hard worker she was. And honestly, she was an incredibly talented interviewer. She spent a lot of time, and it was evident in her approach, she spent a lot of time 
preparing for these interviews, and it came across that way. So she'll be missed. And uh, she seemed to have a way of having her interview subjects find a rapport with her. That's something that can be very challenging. As someone that does this myself, I can tell you it's difficult to get somebody that you're trying to get to open up to you to open up in the manner that Barbara Walters did. So God bless her for a long life. Sorry to her daughter and her family. Let me give a commendation as well to Caroline Hirsch, the owner of Caroline's Comedy Club. It is now closed after 40 years of serving New York. Caroline's Comedy Club is no more. Now, Caroline Hirsch herself says that they're going to reopen in some form or another, some new type of brand. I don't know what it will be, but... um, We're wishing her the best, and uh, we'll tell you about it when it comes to me. All right. uh, I want to give a commendation to Robert and Edith, Edith May, Shome. They're a Pennsylvania couple who have just celebrated their 80th wedding anniversary. Can you imagine? They are both 102 years old. They met in high school in 1936 And they married December 26th, 1942. Can you imagine eight decades of marriage? So congratulations to Robert and Edith May Schaum. I hope uh, you had a great anniversary. And I hope there are many more in your future. And uh, seems like you're doing something right, certainly. It's the kind of thing you don't see every day these days. Not only because marriages don't last that long many, many in many cases, but people don't either. Most people don't have the longevity to live to 102. God bless them. I think this is great, and I want to give a commendation to something called the Hair Recycle Project, which is in uh, Belgium. You know what they're doing? So the Hair Recycle Project, it feeds hair from haircuts. And... It feeds locks and tresses of hair into a machine that turns them into matted squares that can be used to absorb oil and other hydrocarbons polluting the environment or made into biocomposite bags. I have thought for years, whenever I see my hair fall off my head after I'm being shorn, I thought for years... There's got to be something that can be done with my hair. One time I did a a listener giveaway for my hair. Maybe I'll do that next time. But I've always thought I have such thick, lustrous hair. There's got to be something that you could use it for. thought about maybe making it into a ball, stress ball maybe. And sure enough, finally, these guys at the Hair Recycle Project have found a use for this. Which otherwise would just get thrown away, probably, or burned. And they have found a way to put hair, you know, to help in terms of cleaning up pollutants in the environment, and I think that's just great. I want to commend the New York football giants. They have clinched their first postseason berth since 2016, with a 38-10 to 10 demolition of the Colts on Sunday. 
You remember uh, what happened when the Giants were in the playoffs in 2016. They did very well. So um, I would love to see. The, uh, I'm so excited they're going to be in the playoffs. I'm sorry the Jets missed such an opportunity yesterday. I mean, the Jets and the Giants started the season with so much promise. And to see the Jets falter as they have, and even the Giants to some extent, it's really disappointing. But I'm thrilled that the Giants are going to be making the playoffs. And I will be, I'll be watching when they get there. I want to commend Star. Star is an English bulldog who was awarded Best in Show at the 22nd Annual American Kennel Club National Championship. Now, why is this a big deal? Obviously, it's always a big deal to beat out 5,300 other dogs. But he's a three-and-a-half-year-old who is an English bulldog. He is the first English bulldog to take the top honors in the $50,000 competition. And it's a big deal for bulldogs. And I have friends that own a bulldog. And they love this bulldog. And they're always talking about how tough it is to be a bulldog owner from time to time. And bulldogs can be a bit underrated. A lot of people have this stigma in their mind that they're just these panting, unhealthy, lazy animals. And uh, this shows that you can breed an English bulldog for healthy and good standards, and that, yeah, even an English Bulldog can be best in show. You have any doubt about how tough the United States Marines are? You need only look at 18-year-old Colleen Hope. Not sure if it's Hope or Hoppy. But Colleen Hopi was midway through Marine basic training when she fractured both of her hips and her pelvis. For some, that would be the end of the road. But for this 18-year-old from Monroe, Michigan, it did not stop her from earning her uniform. She didn't even know how badly she was injured until a couple of days before graduation. She felt sore, but she was able to ignore the pain enough, at least through the toughest portion of basic training. It was all to achieve her goal of serving her country, a dream that she has had since right after uh, graduating high school. So I think it's great that she's going to be a Marine. And uh, if you want to feel lacking in toughness, just read about what this 18-year-old young woman is doing and the lengths lengths that she went to to become a Marine. I want to commend everybody that came to New Year's Eve Eve and everybody that uh, that brought stuff, Uh, especially a lot of the listeners that came. And I'm sorry I didn't get to spend as much time with you guys as I would have liked. Um, uh, Jody was there with uh, two of her friends, Allison, and um, the uh, name of her other friend escapes me. But Jody was very charming, had this great Santa Claus hat on. And a lot of people brought food. Mike Porcelli, who came, brought uh, an incredible degree of appetizers. He was also kind enough to draw to uh, to bring Merrill. And Merrill just blew me away at this incredible um, piece of artwork that she that she created. But thanks to everybody that came, um, Virginia and Kevin, uh, JFK and Priyanka, my cousins Natalie and Anthony, Rich and Danielle, Gary and Linda Korb, uh, Meryl Rosner, Frank and Tracy Fontano, uh, Dan and Jean Fratalone, my brother-in-law Dan, Christine Petraglia, Michael Suleiman, Elizabeth Taranek, Don Guardian, Christine Conforti, 
It was great to see you. I'm sorry. Again, that's another person I wish we had more time to spend. Jody, as I mentioned, I wish that we had more time to um, to talk. And that's the the thing when you have a party like this. It's so Donna from Huntington, of course. Uh, it it so often seems like you don't get that opportunity to uh, to talk. That's the, the the perils of a big party. You get to meet a lot of people, but you don't necessarily get to spend a lot of time with people. So uh, next year we're working on some improvements that I think will al- obviate both of these things. All right. Finally, I want to commend two of the people that attended this uh, New Year's Eve Eve soiree in Atlantic City. AC Mike Lopez, who has been a guest on this show, and his new fiance Lisa Classman, they got engaged the day after New Year's Eve Eve. I was trying to persuade him because I ran into him on the boardwalk and he told me he got a ring and was about to get hitched. I said, you got to do it tonight on New Year's Eve Eve. That's what I did. And he says, no, nah, I still don't have the ring. I'm going up to Philadelphia to get it. So I was bummed that uh, that he uh, didn't do it when we were all there. But he did it before a big crowd at the Lucky Snake Arcade at the showboat. And I'll tell you, uh, this guy's doing something right because uh, Lisa is not only... A delightful young woman, but a five-star knockout, very smart as well, and an accomplished businesswoman as well. So I think they're Atlantic City's new power couple, clearly. So congratulations to both of them. I couldn't be happier. Obviously, Mike is a good friend that I know a long time, and I'm looking forward to getting to know Lisa a little bit better as well. But uh, very happy for both of them. Commendations to everybody who uh, received one. If you didn't get a commendation this time around... Keep doing good deeds. You don't know what happens in the future. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll take your calls on anyone that received a commendation or anything that we've been covering so far. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is a, uh, a Metplace selection, so there you have it. If you uh, ever want to know what kind of music we are playing on this program, you can go on to the Facebook group. We post them each and every week. By the way, I want to uh, again thank, I know I acknowledged him last week, but uh, I w- in all seriousness, thank, um, it's good to have Matt Plays back, but I want to acknowledge uh, Alex Barnard, who uh, filled in for Matt Plays last week. And did actually a very good job. It's not an easy thing to do. You're kind of juggling a lot of different uh, balls in the air simultaneously, and it's a very high-pressure situation, and uh, did great. Uh, so in addition to doing his existing responsibilities, so i got to give 
Uh, Alex yes, Barnard, a, uh, a shout out. He did really well. Hey, uh, why were you off uh, all of last week? You were just taking it easy. You didn't go anywhere, did you? No, I was relaxing, taking some time Good. off. Good for you. So it was why just not? a staycation. Oh yeah, I um, I had the most exercise going from my couch to the refrigerator and back. Well, that's there were, it. There were some days with nice weather. Did you get outside at all? Or? Absolutely not. No. What, what 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 were you what were you watching that you were so into? I was watching the last season, season four of the Mayans MC. I finished watching Big Sky, which is, uh, I just record all this stuff. I don't watch anything half the time. Right. It just gets recorded. I mean, I have uh, wrestling, Raw, and SmackDown from like a month ago recorded. So you still watch wrestling every week? I started back watching it after right. like WrestleMania. How is it these days? It's not bad. I mean, I stopped watching because it got kind of watered down when they went to the no chance of somebody getting busted open. I didn't want to watch uh, it anymore. Gotcha. Right. But now I realize, you know what? It really is the athleticism and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that did I you, still like. Did you watch that uh, Ric Flair documentary? That no, I, I keep seeing all the advertisements for it and how everyone's like, he's got to stop. How does he keep doing all this? All the other wrestlers and his daughter. And I'm like, yeah, it's Ric Flair. It was, it was really well done. Um but and it made me in some ways even angrier that Ric Flair had that match that I paid for last year. Ric Flair's last match, I guess it was back in June, because it was just for a guy that had an incredible career, such a poor way to end. And then, his and then he said, "I don't think that's going to be my last match." Yeah, it was. I mean, sort of. Sort of well, I don't know. It is. It is what it is. Have you seen any of the? Um, the A and E WWE Legends documentary. I was watching the Stone Cold show. Oh, that was good. That he has all the interviews with. Did you ever see that one? It's oh, on. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, bone crushing. Yeah, skull, yeah, the skull crush, whatever skull it's called. Crushing, right. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Actually. Yeah, I watched a few of those, and a lot of them are pretty good. Like really? he had a couple with the Undertaker, and Undertaker's totally out of character. Right, it's sure, just sure. him. And then there's one with like. It's like Rikishi, the Godfather, mm. Papa Shango, Godfather, and all these guys that were friends, and they start just telling all these stories oh, cool. together, which is really cool. All right, 800-848-9222. Neil in Staten Island had been uh, patiently holding. Hello there, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, first, Happy I wanted to say that the same to you, Frank. Same to you. I wish you all the best and uh, your family. Thank Good you. health. That's the most important thing, Frank. Likewise. Uh, Thank you. Uh, first thing I want to say was that uh, Ric Flair can't shine Hogan's shoes. And uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, I don't want to really discuss it, but... It's just no, I mean, I'm happy to discuss... I mean, again, I want to make the whole show about wrestling for the benefit of people that don't care about it. But, um, look, I'm not trying to take away from Hulk Hogan's impact on the sport, right? I mean, Hulk Hogan um, was the poster child for helping making pro wrestling mainstream... In the 1980s, it went from being basically uh, a, a carnival attraction to something that was uh, talked about uh, at, in respected company. And Hulk Hogan, it, even before The Rock or uh, or John Cena or Batista, he was able to do what was at the time considered next to impossible and become a breakout star from the world of pro wrestling to Hollywood and do other things, do TV shows and do movies, which is a pretty rare thing at the time. What the question I asked, the question I was asked, which I think you know you're responding to in part, was who was a better wrestler? And in that respect, there's no comparison. Now, Hulk Hogan has a great physique. 
He is was an, an incredible amount of strength, but um, and a great uh, performer. He can electrify a crowd. He can he can get people really going. A great talker. But in terms of his actual in-ring ability, it's pretty minimal. I mean, he can do a body slam. He can um, he can miraculously come back from a a, a, a sleeper hold. He can um, he can he can Hulk up. He can Hulk up and do a leg <laughs> drop. Right. I mean, I think that's the totality of his regimen. Yeah, that, I, I that. think um, Rocky. Rocky three had a lot to do with Hulk Hogan. No doubt. Becoming as big exactly. as he was. And good for him. Good yeah. for him. He took that opportunity that Stallone gave him and uh, and he ran with it. A lot of other people could not have done that well. So I, I say good for him. But uh, I'm not taking away anything from his impact in the world of entertainment. But uh, it's just as an in-ring performer, I don't think there's any comparison. But you know what? Like That's why there's chocolate and vanilla, Neil. You, you, you call it a sport. It's not a sport. It's well, a sports show. entertainment. Sports entertainment. Oh, it's, it's, it's an athletic entertainment show. I mean, it's extremely difficult. No one's going to take that away from these guys. It's a very hard thing to do, uh, but it's, it's all predetermined. So when you say, well, you know, Rick Flick is a wrestler longer than Hulk Hogan, maybe uh, they don't want Hulk Hogan to wrestle that long. Who knows? Well, I, Who knows? no, but that's Hulk the thing. The, I, I do. I mean, I think if you watch a, a match that Hulk Hogan's in, he he just doesn't have the the wherewithal or the ability to go sixty minutes, right? But Ric Flair was able to do sixty minutes with guys like Ricky Steamboat and Terry Funk and uh, Ricky Morton, uh, even 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 Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race. You know, uh, uh, all of Hulk Hogan's most memorable matches. There, I mean, there's not very much wrestling ability involved. They're predetermined. I no, mean, no, it's, it's, I, I know, but all the matches are predetermined. Well, but, I mean, because Flair could go an hour. What, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? It, maybe, maybe that's one aspect that you like about him. But I still think Hulk Hogan, all in all, is the more popular and, and well, certainly, uh Yeah, well, more popular wasn't the question. The question was, who was the better wrestler? And uh, in my view, you know, it's Ric Flair. But we'll agree to disagree, Neil. It's okay. Well, that's all right, Frank. The other thing I wanted to say was about Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, who who really cares what she says? I mean, uh, anything that happens to her because of something she says is between her and her employer. The same thing if you say something wrong. It's between you and your employer. That's nothing to do with anybody else. Yeah, again, Neil, my my, and again, uh, I must again not be stating this artfully enough because my criticism was not of Whoopi Goldberg or uh, or praise of Whoopi Goldberg. I was just saying that there are all these groups, and thanks for the call, Neil. Um, there's all these groups that, for lack of a better description, exist to be outraged. And I think if the the goal of the ADL was healing and was trying to get, um, you know, Whoopi Goldberg to understand that remarks like that are ignorant or hurtful, running to the press first is not the best way to do it, in my opinion. You know, I've got some emails from other people Reasonable people, smart people, they disagree. It's fine. Great. Again, um, won't won't be the first time I'm in the minority if I am. All right. Hey, I'll tell you what I thought was really interesting. Mark Cuban is, I find, to be a fascinating guy. He did an interview with Bill Maher the other day, on Friday, I believe. And this is a guy who's a billionaire, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, 
done a lot when it comes to technology. He's a media mogul, really an interesting guy, been very successful, mostly self-made as I understand it. And he had some interesting advice. And I know a lot of people are trying to come up with New Year's resolutions and you feel kind of dumb if you want to make a resolution, but you're making the same one that you made last year and didn't stick to. I think this is so important. Listen to what Bill Maher told, uh, excuse me, what uh, Mark Cuban told Bill Maher on the Club Ransom podcast that everyone over 30 should be doing. Listen to this. Somebody 40 and over, even 30 and over, if you're not reading, you're a book, a book, anything, a whole book, a whole book, all the way through, all the way through. You're right. Um, because because you're not you're not expanding your mind. I tell my kids it doesn't right. always work. You know, somebody who doesn't read lives one life. Somebody who reads lives an unlimited number of right. lives. Right, but they don't read; they scroll. Well, scrolling no, so, is not reading. So let me just tell you. So here's what I learned. Um, my son, my my 16 and 19 year old, you know, we bribe them to read by saying, okay, you read this books or X number of page books, and you get shoes or whatever you want. So we bribe them, and they do it. And, you know, and then we have conversations about the book. And I like that. That's good. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but my youngest, my 13-year-old son, he's like, I don't like to read. So I'm like thinking to myself the same thing you are. That's just wrong. It's, it's, it's you know, it's going to hurt him long term. And one day he comes up to me. He goes, Dad, why do you, do you not do royalty deals? Mm. I'm like, you know about royalties? He goes, yeah, Kevin does them on Shark Tank and you don't. Why? And I'm like, because they use up a company's gross margin. I'm like, do you know what gross margin is? He says, yeah, I know what gross margin is. And he's like 10 at the time. <laughs> like, I know what gross margin is. It's the difference between what you um, sell it for and what you buy it for. What's left over is your gross margin. I'm like, how do you know this? He goes, TikTok and YouTube. Yeah. That's how he learns. And so the challenge isn't. To get the right stuff. on, Right. It's the challenge. Yeah. Getting them to look at the right stuff. But they consume a lot of information, TED Talks or whatever, that are really informational. So the challenge wasn't so much, are they learning, right? They are. The challenge was me understanding how they learn. And that was the hard part for me. So forgetting about the TikTok uh, informational stuff towards the end there, Mark Cuban is absolutely onto something. And uh, this is one of the great... The, the two things that I wish I did more in my own life, and I, I'm trying to do at least one of them more, but really the two things that I wish I made more of a priority, and I'm going to try and do both, both of these more this year, are exercise and read, right? And I used to read a great deal. And what ended up happening is I started reading a little bit less when um, when my son was born, and now I really struggle to read enough just to keep up with the w- material that I have to prepare for the show. And I do read a lot, but I don't read anywhere near the, I, the volume of books that I used to read uh, when I was doing the show. I have this book that I have not touched in a month. And it's just because I, uh, I get busy with my son. I get busy preparing for the show. And Mark Cuban is exactly right. A 2016 study conducted by Yale University School of Public Health researchers found that reading 30 minutes a day helped participants 50 and older, ready for this, 
live an average two years longer than their non-reading counterparts. Again, regardless of health, regardless of wealth, regardless of gender, regardless of education. So if you're over the age of 50 and you want to live two years longer than your fellow AARP club members, the best thing you could do is try to read at least a half hour every day. And Mark Cuban practices what he preaches. They say he's an avid reader. In 2018, he told CNBC he reads four or five hours a day studying national news, local news, emails, technology research. So um, I think that's great advice. I'm glad he said that, and I think as people are contemplating what their New Year's resolution is going to be, that um, that's great. I think that'd be great. All right, 800-848-9222. A lot of people have been uh, pa- patiently holding. Let me try and get to you as many of, uh, of as many of you as I can. Jeff is in Buffalo, uh, which is the scene of the uh, biggest news story in the world right now with respect to that uh, DeMar Hamlin injury. What's, ha- what's happening there, Jeff? Yeah, uh, Buffalo has been through a lot with the uh, the storm the storm that's taken out people, and now the um, football uh, Demar football man. Um, it's uh, you wouldn't believe the devotion of people who who just want him um, sure to make a full recovery. And by the way, I did misspeak. The game was uh, in Cincinnati, not Buffalo, so I misspoke on that. Well, absolutely, Buffalo. Um, look, you know, I've noticed there's a certain pride that Buffaloans have, even once they're no longer in Buffalo. That's very unique. Uh, I I think the only city that I've noticed that comes close to that is uh, is Philadelphia. You know, but you take even a lot of my fellow New Yorkers. You take a lot of these people who live there presently, and what do you hear? Oh, I can't wait to move. Oh, it's crummy. It's this and that. I don't hear any of that from Buffalo people. There's such a pride in Buffalo. Yeah, I I, I would say uh, that Buffalo is New York's team. If if you if you're for the you know Giants and all that, Buffalo is the team uh, to uh, to go. Uh, all right, Jeff. Thank you. We're wishing him a speedy recovery. Certainly, wishing him the best. Thank you. Uh, let us go to another Jeff. Jeff in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank. What's going on, Jeff? Uh, all right. How are you? Uh, happy New Year. Likewise. Let me, let me just say, you know, before YouTube, right, this, 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 is, a, this is a major uh, philosophical um, observation about life. Before YouTube, right, I spent my whole life going places together. I think validation for my belief system or what I enjoy musically. And then when YouTube came along, I suddenly had the comment section of hundreds of people who love what I loved. And I felt so validated. It was unbelievable. And 15 years later, I'm still still getting that validation. Okay. Wonderful. Great. Okay. Now, next thing, a very, very. I'm not. I'm not a whimsy, I'm not a writer, but I have a stupid joke and then a smart joke. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go, Frank. Two rights don't make a wrong, but three rights make a left. Okay. Right. That's not bad. I like it. All right. Here's the good one about the 80 year old couple. What did the eighty-year-old, the eighty-year-old married couple, married eighty years? What did they say when they asked, "How did they do it for eighty years?" I give up. They, they say, "Well, it wasn't. It was. It was pretty hard. It wasn't easy, but we stayed together for the great, great, great grandkids." 
Okay, yeah, I guess maybe I'm missing the punchline on that one, Jay. Right, right. Couple stay together for the kid. Right, couple stay together for the kids. They're unhappy, but they stay together for the oh, kids. Okay, okay. Right, I get it. Okay, this is for the great, great grandkids. Gotcha. All right, that's funny. All right, Frank. that's funny. Right. Thank you, Jeff. Did you get that one initially? I mean, I, I even once he explained it, I got it. It's just, I got it. I just thought it was horrible. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, it's not. I, I. Um, all right, it's not horrible. I've heard worse. Horrible. Heard worse. I I, I like uh, Jeff. He's a good sport. Uh, 800-848-9222. Hannah is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Hannah. Hello. Hi, Frank. How are you doing, Happy Hannah? Happy New Year. Um, I just want to say that uh, first I'm commenting on your Facebook about the T-shirt. I think it's terrible what people say. It's just a T-shirt. They make a big deal out of it. And I also wanted to put pus on that my cat, I have 13 cats that I rescue and two dogs. And my cats don't sleep until they hear your contest. And you really What, the uh, the $1,000 minute? Yeah. Oh, great. They don't sleep. Um, yeah, until it ends, they go right to bed. It's, it's crazy. I wish I could send it to you. I know you said that you accept all these um through snail mail and also on Facebook, but for some reason I don't know why it's not working in my phone to send it. So I'm trying my best. Huh? All right, well, I just wanted, I'd certainly I just like to see it. How many cats do you have? Thirteen. Thirteen. From the Bronx. Yeah. Wow. They were like they were stabbed, shot. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, and I I just rescued a dog that was hit by a car in the highway. And um, I, it's so sad that all these cats and dogs are being abandoned. But I'm not a hoarder because I have a big apartment too. You know, they even have their own room, my cats, and they have their own bed, and they have their, like, I have multiple litters. Do but you, I do what take care of them. Do yes. you um, hold on to all 13 long-term, or do you look after some and then get them adopted? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, basically, no, I actually find them, and then... Um, I, 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 my first attempt when I first got few of them was going to get them to them out, but I'm having these nightmares about cats that actually been rescued and then being fostered out or adopted out. And then those people end up like taken to somewhere else. And it's just, I feel like so bad. And when I started with three, they became like a family, and they didn't want to be apart. I even had one of my dogs die, my residential dog. They were so depressed that he, he died. They didn't even eat for a day. That's how my cats were. Wow. And, yeah, and as time goes on, my cats got so attached to each other. Like, even when I go take them to see the doctor, which I do routinely, you know, like every annual exam and stuff, it's amazing. Like, they literally... Stop what they're doing. They wait for them to come back. Now I have um, I have three cats, as you know, Hannah. Well, my 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 wife and I have three cats that live with us, yes. and uh, I know how expensive three cats is. Uh, I can only imagine how expensive thirteen cats uh, are. Uh, forgetting about the veterinary bills, which are substantial, yes. but just to get them food and uh, and medicine if they need it. I mean, it's it's pricey. Uh, how do you afford to pay for thirteen cats? Okay, um, with a lot of love and a lot of experience of getting to know people, uh, resources, you know. But most of all, I pay myself 
90% pay myself. I've been having insurance for all my cats and my dogs. Wait, you have or do um, not have insurance? I do. You do? I do. Yeah. I, um, I'm i very uh, savvy with economy-wise, and I'm also on a disability, and I save uh-huh. my money. And it's all for the cost for the animals. And I love the fact that you are the only one besides Curtis Lewa in the same station who basically talk about the welfare of animals. And I just feel so bad. Like, I, I remember one cat that I didn't pick up, and I promised myself I'm going to do my best to pick it up, and it died two days later. Oh, So uh, I really, really, I'm sorry? No, that, I was just reacting. That's uh, I'm sorry yeah, to hear yeah. that. Hannah, yeah, uh, so- thank you. Uh, thank you for calling. Uh, best of luck with all those cats. Oh, God bless you. Happy Thanks, New Year. Thanks, You too. You Happy so. New Year. You're Thanks. very intelligent. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Don't Don't let out my secret. All right, um, and it's funny. One of the letters that I didn't get to, um, I'm not going to go through this whole thing now, but one of the letters that uh, I, oh, my son is awake. I got a message from my wife. Once again, I'm wide awake because Carmine was talking. Oh, so he wasn't crying or anything. He's just talking, and she's got the baby monitor in her uh, in her bedroom, and he's doing his he's doing his thing loudly. So I'm sorry. That's going to be that's going to be a. That's going to be a tough day for all of us today, then. That's what that means. All right. Um, the, you know, in terms of the cats, the, by the way, what she said about having pet insurance for all her cats, that is so incredibly important. So important. I can't tell you, we have pet insurance for two of our cats, and thank God we do. Otherwise, forget about it. We have no money now. We'd be, we'd be having to moonlight of uh, working in a veterinary clinic somewhere to pay off some of our veterinary bills because uh, there are so many people I know that don't get that pet insurance for their dog or their cat. And I'm telling you, they live to regret it. My uncle is, uh, my uncle Steve is in a kind of a tough situation right now where he is engaged to this woman and they, he's got three cats and she doesn't like cats. I've talked about this before. She claimed initially that she was allergic, but I think it's mostly that she just doesn't like them. And he is trying to find a good home for all these cats. But a lot of these rescue groups are already just filled to the brim. So he keeps trying to ask us to take one of these cats, which we're reluctant to do um, for a variety of reasons. But... If not us, he wants to get all these cats, you know, a nice home because he loves them. So I, uh, if anybody knows of a good home for cats that uh, someone wants to adopt beyond the traditional groups, because we've got, he's gone that route and there's a, a long waiting list and that's not working out. But if anybody knows, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.mor. A-N-O at WABCradio.com. Let me say hello to E. Frank in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes, uh, hello, Frank. Uh, I'm very happy that uh, I made it to the new year, and I'm very happy that you are there on the station this new year transmitting very beautiful Thank you. Um, facts and things. Uh, well, you know what, uh, Frank, I just called because I wanted to give a commendation to the group of people who conducted the fireworks at Times Square, they were very memorable. And uh, Q104.3 for doing their countdown. Well, I hope you'll call them and uh, and commend us as a radio station that you really enjoy. Thank you. 
very much there. Kevin is in Mexico. Me- Kevin, are you going to be uh, coming into the country as a migrant anytime soon? Well, that's not possible because I grew up in Astoria. Ah, I see. Um, I just want to say I like your uh, program. Um, my friend, well, I, uh, my brother invited me to an off-Broadway show back in around... 1988, I can't remember the exact year, and Malachi McCord and his brother Frank McCord were at the show. So my brother has been in um, um, the AA program for about 35 years, so they became friends through the AA program. So I met Malachi and I met his brother Frank McCord. This was before Angela's Ashes came out as far as I can remember. So I was wondering, I heard your interview with Malachi McCord about four or five months ago, and he said to you he was given a day to die. And I think the day was in November. I could be wrong, but he said to you, will you give me another chance on the radio? Because he's a big fan of yours, I remember. And uh, I know you're a big fan of his. And um, that day has come and gone, so I'm wondering, is he still okay? Don't tell me he passed away. No, um, he didn't pass away. He was on the radio this past weekend on the, well, on the station that he does a radio show on with our friend John McDonough. Okay. Yeah, I, I've been, I guess, negligent in having him back. I got caught up with some other things. and uh, But, yeah, he still he seems like he's doing better than better than anybody, better than ever. So I'm, I'll reach out to him again this week, actually, Kevin. That's a great suggestion, and we'll schedule, we'll schedule something for this week or next week. You know what? It, it, it would not only be good for you, but it'll be good for him. Yeah, I can't argue with you, Kevin. I appreciate the uh, the suggestion and the feedback. Okay, sir. Thank you. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're, we're uh, talking about. I am sorry we didn't get more reaction to the advice that – well, I don't know what people are going to say. I mean, I guess you could agree or disagree. But what with what Mark Cuban was saying with uh, with respect to reading – and I'm really encouraging people to consider adopting that as their New Year's resolution. It's always easy to pick a New Year's resolution for somebody else, isn't it? In fact, uh, we were at my dad's for New Year's Day. We did our ra- annual ravioli making. And uh, I suggested that you be able to pick a, a resolution for someone else at the table. And uh, I did this with an ulterior motive in mind because I wanted to pick one for my stepmother I really want her to take the at-home Jeopardy test because she is just incredible in, in terms of Jeopardy. And not only does she know all the answers, but she's able to get them quick. And she'd be great on that show, but she refuses to take it. It's very frustrating. But uh, I, I think um, if I could make a resolution for you, one of them would be to uh, you know to consider upping your reading game, right? Because you see you live two years longer. If you're over the age of 50. All right, 800-848-9222. We'll do something fun straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. Today is actually the 75th birthday of John Paul Jones Baldwin from Led Zeppelin. So it seems as opportune a moment as any to look back and uh, play this song. Hey, I got great feedback to last week's edition of The Racket Report with uh, Anthony Ruggiano. Well, we have posted another edition of The Racket Report. If you want to if you want to hear it, you can check it out at redappleaudionetwork.com. Re- excuse me, redapplepodcastnetwork.com. It's redapplepodcastnetwork.com. Or just search The Racket Report with Frank Moreno on any podcast app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, you name it. Wherever podcasts are available, just search The Racket Report and subscribe. And my guest this week is Frank DiMatteo. Fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. Lifelong Brooklynite, the um, a former member of the Gallo crew, which was associated with the Colombo crime family, has written several books, which uh, I found I read two that I enjoyed very much. But he was uh, he wrote one that I haven't read yet called The President Street Boys Growing Up Mafia. And he discusses his experience growing up in this part of Brooklyn. And it's really just a fascinating discussion. When he was a boy, he actually got to witness a murder. Got to. He he witnessed a murder. Listen to his reaction, Frank DiMatteo, on the most recent edition of The Racket Report. You saw your first murder at six years old. Is that true? Describe what you remember for us. Yeah, I was on. Uh, I was coming out of an apartment with my mother on Fourth Avenue and Union Street, her, her friend of hers' apartment, and across the street was a diner of Fourth Avenue and Union. And one of my father's friends, a couple of my father's friends, were standing on the corner, and an argument broke out while me and my mother was coming out of the uh, apartment. We were waiting for a bus and we were going downtown and what happened was uh they got into an argument and uh one and one of getting shot and he goes on to describe as a little boy what his reaction was like and i have a feeling it will surprise you check out this interview it's really an eye-opener it was an eye-opener for me RedApplePodcastNetwork.com or just search The Racket Report with Frank Morano uh, wherever podcasts are available. You can also um, listen to the, the, you know, the podcasts of this show. You just have to search The Other Side of Midnight. And what I'd appreciate is if you could actually give us a nice review because that will help more people discover all three of the podcasts we have. So we have three that you need to subscribe to and leave a nice review for. The Racket Report, The Other Side of Midnight, and Frank Morano interviews. One listener actually wrote to me that for whatever reason, we don't know what the reason is. He has a theory, and I may have mine as well. Over oh, the three days that was I the three days that I was on vacation, which means plus the weekend I was off for five days. The five days that I was off. Podcast listenership for The Other Side of Midnight skyrocketed. We had more people listening to podcasts of this show 
for the last five days than we had in the last three months, meaning any five-day period in the last three months. And the person that wrote to me is that it could be that less people are listening live during the holidays, so they're bringing the podcast with them on vacation. That's similar to my theory. Uh, part One of my theory was people are off from work and they just have more time to listen. I know that to be true from people that have written to me. My other theory is because I was off the radio for five days, a lot of people you know, might miss hearing my perspective on things. And rather than listening to the people that were substituting as great as they were, they figure, all right, let me catch up on some older editions of Frank's show that I might have missed. I'm not sure what, what the case is, but I'm glad people are listening. So please subscribe uh, to the podcast and leave us a good review if you haven't already. And uh, follow us on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. The original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, original Rick. Good morning and happy New Year. Frank. Thank you, my friend. You too. Okay, thank you. Uh, about the reading, uh, people are just not doing it. Uh, not only the children or kids, but adults as well. Let me catch my breath. Uh, I have COVID. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, I hope you feel better. Yeah, I got it for the New Year's. Isn't that great? Uh, anyway, I have a writer friend or an author. He's written 60 books, six zero. And uh, he never made a lot of money because he was always a ghost writer. He wrote for other people. And uh, he can't get work now because the, the publishers are saying nobody's reading. Nobody's buying books. He, his specialty was Westerns, like Louis Lamar. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one's reading them anymore. They're just not selling. Uh, books in general are not selling. And any ones that they are selling, it's all ebooks. There's no more publishing going on. And I think a lot of that has to do with you can't go into a bookstore, you know, they're very few and far between, to go and look to see what you want to read. Remember going into it and just perusing, seeing, well, Oh, I still do that. This. It's great. It's a great uh, feeling, and you're right. The fact that um, we have seen a, a decline in a lot of bookstores and places around the country probably does play into that. The, it do, I think there was a bit of a resurgence in the publishing business Within the last four or five years, partly due to the pandemic, partly due to the explosion of books about uh, Donald Trump. But I think you're right that um, if you compare it to maybe 20 or 30 years ago, yeah, the people would seem to be reading less. I don't have the data to in front of me, but uh, I think it's all the more reason that it's important to emphasize what what Mark Cuban is saying here, which is the, the value in, uh, in reading. Do, does your friend ever consider – branching out to other genres that might be more commercially viable? Well, in like what? what I don't know. If Western's you? not working, maybe oh, you yeah, write yeah, a, a sci-fi reading, book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's written lots of, lots of sci-fis. Oh, he does. Not re- they, 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 people are just not reading anymore. They're looking at pictures and videos, and they want to give it to them. They don't want to have to actually work at reading the words and understanding them. Well, you know Rick, uh, let's hope some people hearing us now hear the value that comes with reading. Those statistics are real from Yale. Two hours a day, uh, half hour a day, live two years longer. Simple as that. All right. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Well, earlier in the show, I probably said something to offend the Jews. Let me give an opportunity to the Catholics to be offended. Um, Joking in part. We lost, as I'm sure you've heard a couple of days ago, Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI was um, the Pope prior to Pope Francis. You know all this, right? But just Reader's Digest version. There are two aspects of Pope uh, Benedict XVI's papacy that uh, are going to be written about in all of his obituaries and have been written about in nearly all of his obituaries. One, it's that he was a member of the Hitler Youth. I find that so incredibly unfair to, to raise that as a key aspect of his biography. Because he was living in Germany at the time, he had really no choice to be part of the Hitler Youth. Every every boy in Germany at the time was part of the Hitler Youth. I mean, what's the point of writing that? Sure enough, that's in a lot of the biographies. There. All right. Additionally, this is worth noting, even though his life was so much more than this, and he did so many things even prior to becoming Pope that are noteworthy. One of the things that is being explored in the aftermath of his passing is that he was the first pope in over 600 years to resign, to retire. Now, here's the controversial aspect of it. I have always thought his resignation in 2005 was a little fishy. They said it was due to health reasons. Not No, not 2005. Uh, pope uh, Benedict became pope in 2005. Then uh, he gave up the, uh, the papacy in, I believe it was 2013. Yeah. 2013, after being pope for eight years, he becomes the first pope since Gregory Twelfth to resign from the position. Reportedly, due to his age and waning physical and mental stamina. 2013. He didn't die until 2022. Nine years, essentially. He just stuck around. After we were told he was so sick and so old and so incapable that he had to retire. So... I have never believed that story. I'm just saying. And I've been in touch with different scholars over the weekend, and there's some very credible people, people much smarter than me, people who've done much more thorough research than me that do believe that story. I I am telling you, I do not believe it. Do not do I don't believe it. I think there's something more to it. Now, what is the something more? I don't know. I'll tell you what I was always suspicious of. And I actually happen to like uh, Pope Francis very much. I think Pope Francis is uh, is terrific. I think he's a wonderful spiritual leader, a wonderful world leader. I think he says a lot of the right things. I think he uh, just strikes uh, – I think he's a great guy and a real man of God. That being said, 
ideologically and stylistically, Pope Francis is about as far away as you can be from Pope uh, Benedict XVI and still be a part of the same religion. I mean, you had uh, not only do they disagree on a lot of matters of public policy, but you have um, a lot of other just issues related to the the clothing they wear, uh, the the way they address crowds. It, you know, Pope Francis immediately adopted this less showy, more humble outward appearance, vowing to continue to live simply as he had done throughout his whole life. Francis's vision of Catholicism embraced change and promoted a church for modern people in modern times. Opposite of Benedict. Benedict was an advocate for strict adherence to tradition and to doctrine. These two views, um, this did fuel a bit of a factional split within the Vatican. And the two of them apparently did get along with one another on a personal level, even though they had their challenges. There's a great film about it. Uh, Really, I, I don't know how much of it is accurate, but I don't care if every word is fictitious. It's called Two Popes with uh, Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins focused on the two of them meeting with one another. It's a beautiful film, a beautiful, beautiful film, and really well done. It was nominated for an Oscar a couple of years ago. But um, here you have Pope Benedict doing what no pope in six centuries has done and retires. Because he, why? Because he's sick? Because he's old? All the popes get sick. All the popes get old. Pope John Paul II, who was the predecessor of Benedict, he could barely speak at the uh, end of his papacy. And he still, John Paul II, insisted on being seen in public because he wanted, in an era of euthanasia and so forth, he wanted the world, and especially the world's Catholics, to see him dying with dignity. And that uh, death was not something to be fearful of, but something that happens to anyone, everybody as you go on to the next stage of life, which is the kingdom of heaven. And that happened with all the prior popes. They didn't, they didn't retire when they got sick. And how sick could he have been if he stuck around for another nine years and was reportedly very active meeting with people? doing some writing. I think the fact that, and I had—I don't have a lot of evidence to suggest this, but it's my opinion. The fact that Pope Francis came in immediately after Pope Benedict and had, did everything, almost everything anyway, light years differently than Pope Benedict did and appointed all sorts of new cardinals that now control the agenda at the Holy See. And the next time there's a papal election, make no mistake, the cardinals that are going to be controlling this are going to be newly appointed cardinals that uh, Pope Francis has selected. I think there's a possibility. Now, some people have focused on the um, child sex abuse scandal. I don't think that's the case. I think there's a possibility that this was some type of Vatican coup 
where you had more left-wing elements within the church and more um, reformist elements within the church essentially make a concerted effort to overthrow the more conservative elements of the church. And why would Pope Benedict have gone along with that? I don't know. I don't know. I only have questions. I just think the fact that he became the first pope in 600 years to step aside, and then he went on and lived nine more years, and the guy that they elected to replace him did everything completely opposite of the way he did it, it just strikes me as suspicious. Now, look, the reason I'm on in the wee hours of the morning is because from time to time I am a conspiracy theorist. And I I think it's worth exploring a lot of conspiracy theories. That being said, what do you think? And I, I don't want to reduce the life and the work of Pope Benedict down to simply him being a pope that resigned. But it's such an unusual thing. When something is rare, what do you say? You say it's a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. This is not a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. This is a once-in-a-millennia occurrence. This is a once-in-20-lifetime, once-in-20-lifetimes occurrence. So why did it happen? If, you know, some people, uh, a caller called in the other day and uh, made a remark about how Scalia, he believed Scalia was murdered. If Scalia's seat on the court had gone to a far left-wing person, I could, I could, okay, I could give that some credence. But Scalia's seat went to somebody that was almost as conservative as he was. Now, that wasn't the intention of President Obama. But if Cardinal, uh, if uh, Pope Benedict XVI, had been replaced by someone that was same style, same type of conservatism, same type of traditionalism, you wouldn't hear me utter a peep that there was something fishy going on here. But the fact that they picked his opposite in every single way, I have always found it so suspicious. 800-848-9222. What do you think? 800-848-9222. I mean, it's almost the equivalent of picture if they were to impeach Joe Biden. And instead of Joe Biden being replaced with Kamala Harris, he's replaced with Donald Trump. That's almost the equivalent of what would have uh, what, what occurred here. So I find it very suspicious. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. There are a lot of other theories as well. But, um, you know, you know, I'd much rather hear your take on it. Neil is in Maryland. Hello, Neil. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. Your self-declared, your, your self-declared first ever caller from Maryland back over the summer. So, ah, welcome, uh, welcome. Yes, it's good to talk to you again. I, I chided you about your... Uh, Hoarding problem. Ah, uh, yes, I remember um, it well, Neil. How have you been? Hope that's going well. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to let you know, I was a SUNY grad, and I remember living in Buffalo in the mid-'80s, and talking about pride of Buffalo, their moniker was, we're talking proud, if you remember that. Oh, no, I don't remember that, actually. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, that's what they used to say. They had signs and, you know, bumper stickers. We're talking proud. So I, it just kind of triggered that in my head when you said that. Um, <laughs> talk, talking about the Pope real quick, I always felt the same way, too, that, you know, not too long after he became Pope, the all of the kind of opposite things were that he was proclaiming and going on with, I found suspicious myself. So I just wanted to throw my two cents in there, Frank, and Thank you for a wonderful show as usual. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. And, um, and thank you. And just to reiterate the other, the other thing that would have put my doubts to rest was if Pope Benedict died within a year, within 18 months, within two years of him stepping aside, then I would say, okay, this man was old and sick and frail and not able to continue. The guy lived another nine years. There are some people, there are some popes, some recent popes, in fact, whose papacy didn't last nine years. And he went on to live nine years after telling us he was too sick to continue. It's just the combination of those two factors, the fact that he lived so long after retiring and the fact that they picked his opposite ideologically and doctrinally, those two things have always left me a little suspicious about the reasons that Pope Benedict resigned. And again, maybe maybe this is not the appropriate time to have this conversation because he's lying in state at the Vatican. Maybe we should be celebrating his accomplishments. Uh, maybe. But I, I've, I've always just never, this has never sat right with me. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Irene in Brooklyn. Hello, Irene. Yes, Yes, um, Mr. Morano. Uh, I turned on at uh, eight ten, eight to four ten, four fifteen, and your um, uh, screener said you mentioned it. But the fact that he uh, there was talk uh, that he was involved in the press. I read at least that he was involved in the Nazi movement, which you mentioned. Yes, uh, the screener said. And if he would have uh, continued, maybe um, you know things would have poured out and. Uh, um, you know, things things of that nature, which is, uh, you know, a lot of people are trying uh, that were and uh, involved and still living or know much more about Pope or not to uh, try to cover it up, you understand? So that's... Uh, Strong enough of a reason for somebody to move uh, to be removed. Wait, so Irene, just so I follow what you're saying. So you're saying that um, because of Pope uh, Benedict's association and his history with the Nazis, there was an opportunity for him to be blackmailed. Not him. Yes, yes, to him blackmail for him to be blackmailed, and maybe some other people in the Popes in the Vatican. And uh, maybe some other uh, individuals of uh, faith that are holding positions, uh, things would might have been found out, uh, and it would have put a black mark. Uh, or yeah, uh, you know, thank so. you, thank you, Irene. I have no idea. Obviously, I don't think so. Uh, for a few reasons. One, I think if um, I think that would have come out. Given the factionalism that we've seen in the in the Vatican uh, over the last decade, I think there's a chance that would have come out regardless, even with his resignation. 
the uh, that's one. Number two is if uh, there was someone, but uh, that's the primary. But honestly, Irene, I have no idea. I'd be very suspicious. And also, there was no indication throughout uh, Benedict, who was Cardinal um, Ratzinger, there was no indication that he had any sort of Nazi sympathies or that he behaved in any way that was consistent with Nazism. So I'd be very surprised if uh, if that were the reason. But who knows? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Sean in Manhattan. Hello, Sean. Hello. Good morning. morning. My name is uh, Sean Connolly, uh, Father Sean Connolly. I'm actually a Catholic priest Wonderful. here in Manhattan. And uh, I just want to thank you for drawing attention uh, to the uh, life and legacy of our beloved uh, Pope Benedict XVI, who we uh, miss so dearly. And my two cents to the conversation is um, I'm a young priest. I'm only 34 years old. I've only been ordained for seven years. But what the media might overlook in these days as we remember his legacy is that this will be a really influential pope. And there's the temptation to think that, you know, he's a a pope who's stuck between, you know, two giants of world renowned, you know, the charismatic Pope St. John Paul II, the very inspiring man of the people and the poor Pope Francis. But really, I think the most influential pope of our lifetime will be Benedict XVI, because he's a a towering theologian who really articulated the truths of the faith in an age of confusion, you know, without compromise. And uh, his writings will um, continue to to edify and influence the church for generations to come. And they've been an inspiration to a lot of the youth, especially um, young priests who are looking for, um, you know, the full Catholic identity in an age of confusion, and that's really been embraced, and um, we really cherish him so much. Well, no, thank him. you. Thank you for that. I'm glad you mentioned that. And uh, Father uh, Father Connolly, explain to folks what some of his more significant writings included. What subjects did he write on that were particularly noteworthy? Yes, um, I would recommend, and it's a little dense, but it's his famous Regensburg Address. It was given, um, uh, delivered at a university in the city of Regensburg, Germany. I think it was his first uh, foreign trip um, as uh, the Supreme Pontiff in the first year of of his papacy. And it talks about uh, faith and reason uh, going together and the dangers uh, one can have if one is solely guided by a uh, reason alone not rooted in, in any type of faith, and also the dangers, um, you know, by going by solely uh, the faith alone without any rootedness um, in reason. And he really makes a, a great case, you know, for um, the historical roots of Christianity in Europe and how it cannot be uh, abandoned um, without great detriment you know, to civil society, especially in Western Europe. No, that's great. Uh, I appreciate it. The famous Regensburg Address. And a guy named Sorab Amari wrote a beautiful obituary in the New York Times all about this Regensburg Address that might be more accessible to people 
they can find that online recently. That's great, uh, uh, Sean. What um, What do you think, what do you see as the greatest challenges facing the Catholic Church these days? There is tremendous pressure placed on the Church as really the most like, identifiable, you know, the most um, influential, um, largest Christian body of the West to conform with the ways of the world. And I think Benedict led a church hmm. that doesn't seek to change with the ways of the world, but a church that seeks to change the world with the love and the truth of Christ, taught always with charity, always with gentleness, but without compromise. And that's the mission of the church in every age. And, um, it must remain the mission of the church today. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Father Connolly. Next time I'm down in the Lower East Side, I'm going to come find you, okay? Yeah, you're very welcome. Appreciate you're very it. welcome. Thank, thank you very you. much. 800-848-9222. Hey, speaking of Nazis, I said earlier when Carl called uh, in that—by the way, I think Carl is actually still speaking in that phone call that wouldn't end—that um, the Nazis did march in Skokie, and I pointed out that they were defended by—represented uh, by Alan Dershowitz— uh, Ellen, who's great and one of our most prolific posters in the Facebook group, points out that I was incorrect. The Nazi march in Skokie never happened, despite the Nazis being defended by the ACLU. The Nazis had uh, planned to march there because of the large group of Holocaust survivors who were residents in Skokie, and the JDL had planned to stage their own counter rally. The Nazi march was ultimately moved to Chicago. So I stand corrected. Thank you, Ellen. 800-848-9222. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, big guy. How are you this morning? I'm hanging in there. Thanks. Hey, uh, being a Catholic, and uh, I consider myself a traditional and devout Catholic, the issues that I see in the church, and again with Pope Benedict, he was a staunch conservative. In other words, the best way I can say it is the Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments. They stand as they are. They are not to be changed or adjusted. The issue is a big movement within the church now of personnel that want to change and adjust the rules of the church and make concessions to what I call a new morality or a more acceptable morality. What about the issue that I'm raising, Joe, about— uh, about Pope Benedict's decision to become the first pope in 600 years to retire. Do you think there was something fishy? Yes, I do. I think uh, that there still is, if you look at the German church today, uh, they're leading the way in this new uh, morality and acceptance of things in the past that were considered sinful. And uh, they've gone, uh, they've caused a schism within the church. And I think that, yeah, very much so that uh, there are items or people in play in the church uh, that have designs uh, other than its intent. All right, Joe, thank you. Well, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, let me say hello to Walt in Yonkers. Hello, Walt. Hi, thank uh Happy New Year. Yeah, I think he had a lot of skeletons in his closet. Skeletons. Skeletons in his closet. Yeah. Pope Benedict? Skeletons in his closet. And uh, he was about to be exposed, so that's why he got out. 
Well, that's similar to what uh, what Irene in Brooklyn was saying. Her her belief was it was related to his uh, his past uh, with the Hitler Youth. Do you have any theory as to what the what kind of skeletons might have been exposed, Walt? Yeah, probably the the Hitler thing. You know, the Nazi maybe was a Nazi or. Yeah, I'd be. I don't. I don't think that's the case. Honestly, I'd be very shocked because his whole life um, was a repudiation of that, and I I would be just shocked if if it had anything to do with with the Nazis or Hitler or anything like that. I look. This is always the danger about speculating and conjecture when you have no solid evidence, which I don't. I just there's. Two circumstance, three circumstance, that just strike me as very odd. One, the rarity of this occurring. Two, the fact that he lived another nine years. Three, his successor was selected and is the polar opposite of him ideologically and is filling the um, the College of Cardinals with a um, very different type of cardinal than the kind that Pope Benedict might have picked. Those three things lead me to think that something fishy went on here. I don't have any evidence uh, to suggest it. It's just kind of a hunch. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. All right, Frank. Welcome home. And listening to Curtis the past week, you think Curtis was working in a coal mine. Um, If you're interested in things, there was three popes in a few months in 1978 which brought us John Paul II. Well, that's because um, two of them died, though. They weren't resigning. Yeah, I know. But you could think that maybe they didn't really want to die, if you know what I'm saying. Um, well, you know, we, is, we've done that. The the, yeah. the um, death of Pope John Paul I, you know, I interviewed Anthony Ramundi, uh, and he he has said that he played a role in the murder of uh, of Pope John Paul I. So there's some people that do believe that. Right, and uh, there's probably a thousand people in this audience who are in the grassy knoll. Uh, Frank, first of all, um, he was 85 years old, Pope Benedict, when he died. He was, he was he's not a young guy. No, also, no, 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 no. He was 85 when he resigned. When he resigned, that's what I'm saying. Well, you said he, when he, he was, died. No, I meant when he resigned, that's what I meant. He's not a young guy at all, close to no wouldn't be near a young guy. And you got let's look at the facts. Back at that time, the, the pedophile scandal is hitting the church. The churches are emptying out. The church wants to look for a way to appeal to new Catholics or getting Catholics back in the church. And they felt a guy from Argentina uh, would be the guy to do the job. But as far as we're concerned, we look at it from politically. And I could say to you, you're talking about the pope. Oh, you could lose half the country talking about the pope, the southern part of the country. But the thing is, with the pope and, and his politics— to the, a lot of people, including me, is to the left. It turns off a lot of people trying to bury the pedophile scandal, which went on for years. They buried it. And they didn't want to bring it up. And I think they try to come in with a new guy to appeal to new people to create, you know, more Catholics and new Catholics. Well, I mean, the fact that Francis's politics are, as you would describe them, to the left, that only goes to uh, my point, which is, his politics were the opposite of, of Benedict's. You see what I mean? No, I understand what you're saying, but I, I don't think they were too worried about really what Benedict's politics were at the time. 
they were just looking to bring in more people inside the Catholic Church and keep people there. But you got to go back. That scandal, that pedophile scandal was big. A lot of people left the church because of that. I know. That was the the one that broke the camel's back. Yeah, no, I'm aware of that. Thank you, Steve. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Happy New Year. Happy New Year Um, to you, my friend. I kind of agree a lot with what Steve was just talking about, but when my uh, kids were younger, I was volunteering uh, at a Catholic uh, retreat for them, and I was speaking to uh, a couple of priests, and this is back when he resigned. And one of the priests told me, and you got to research this, Frank, that he was so devout when he was praying, they said that he was spoken to. Somebody came to him in a dream or uh, deep prayer, and they don't know if it was Jesus or God. And this is a factual. This is what the priest was telling me. And he was told how the world is going to come to an end and what was going to happen, and he wasn't supposed to repeat it. And they said that he wouldn't tell anybody any more facts, and he became very sick, and he resigned. This is what this one priest told me, and this is what he heard through other priests. And he was visited by some spiritual uh, thing. And I don't know how true it is, and I hope you could research it further than I did, but this is what I was told by a few priests. Yeah, so, I'll, be, I'll be honest, Joe. Uh, thank you. I hadn't I hadn't heard that. If you see anything along those lines, that uh, an article or any other documentation beyond just uh, will, what you've heard. You. So, yeah, please send it over to me. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I don't want to squeeze in another call here. Carol and Baina and everybody else that's holding. If you want to continue to hold, we'll get to you a little bit later. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give all of you, and well, one of you, I should say. We're going to give one of you an opportunity to win one thousand dollars. If you can answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds then we will, you will be the proud recipient of $1,000. When we do the $1,000 Minute, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. $1,000 minute in just a moment. Be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. If you are indeed the seventh caller, uh, we are going to ask 10 relatively easy trivia questions, and then um, you will get an opportunity to answer all 10. Answer all 10 within 60 seconds, and you're $1,000 richer, sure as, as simple as that. Wouldn't it be nice to start the year off with a nice win in the $1,000 minute category. I think that would be uh, a whole lot of fun. Uh, you could find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fan, or you can uh, find us on Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. I, uh, I'm also on Instagram. I don't post much on Instagram. Uh, you can find me there at Morano Vision. It's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. Most of uh, what you'll find on Instagram is my just sharing my wife's photos of our son, who's getting awfully big. He was walking around a little bit yesterday, 
and um, you know he's uh, becoming really much more aware of what's going on and very independent. He took his first steps on Christmas Day, so I uh, it's very it's a real thrill to watch him walk around. But also he's a whiz. His favorite thing is crawling up the stairs. So I don't want him to fall down. So I have to kind of crawl up the stairs behind him, which is a way of, uh, you know, tuckers him out a little bit, gives me a little exercise, but he'll just crawl up the stairs all day long. It's really <laughs> just, he doesn't get bored again and again, up and down, up and down all day long. All right. Uh, without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the Thousand Dollar Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Ah, yes. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Happy New Year to you. Let us say hello to Bob in New Jersey. Hello, Bob. Morning, Frank. Thank you. Morning, Bob. Bob, you're familiar with this contest? Yes, I've lost a few times. Oh, you played a few times. Great. Okay, so you should be an expert by now. You're due for a win at this point. Okay, uh, what was the, what was the, the last last time you were on? What was the question you lost on? I said the Borgata was a casino in Atlantic City. Well, the Borgata is a oh oh oh. You, uh, you mean Vegas? Right. All right. Yes, okay. I'm gotcha. sorry. All right. No problem. All right. You ready to go? Let's go. All right. What year is it? 2023. Who was just sworn in for a four-year term as New York governor? Kathy Hochul. Who wrote Romeo and Juliet? Shakespeare. How many days a week does the U.S. Postal Service deliver standard mail? Six. What is the capital of Afghanistan? Kabul. Who was the youngest person to assume the presidency? JFK. Uh, unfortunately not, uh, uh, Bob. Um, Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt was um, was the youngest person to assume the um, the, the presidency. It's a little tricky uh, because you know J, uh, JFK was the youngest person ever elected president, but. Um, Theodore Roosevelt was at 42 when President McKinley was shot, and JFK was 43 when he took the oath of office um, because he Theodore Roosevelt wasn't elected initially. He he took over for the you know for the president that was killed. Uh, I'm going to put you on hold, and we're going to have you give uh, Kenneth your information. Send Bob something nice. He's probably got a whole collection of other side of midnight merchandise at this point now. Uh, but uh, Bob seems like a great guy. Uh, it's a little tricky, but that's why I emphasized assume rather than elect. But okay, uh, better luck next time, Bob. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Carol is in New Jersey. She's been waiting patiently. Hello, Carol. Oh, thank you, Frank. Happy yeah. New Year, Damar uh, Hamlin. That's such an upsetting thing to happen. I mean. Players on both teams were crying. I mean, they showed it on television. The man, he had a heart attack at such a young age. And it's very upsetting. And, I, you know, I couldn't even stand to watch the players crying. 
It was so upsetting. No, I mean, it's a genuine uh, tragedy, Carol. And look, um, hopefully he's able to recover from this. And again, we don't we don't know. And thanks for the call, Carol. Happy New Year. We don't know the uh, circumstances of what happened here. We don't know if maybe he had some undiagnosed medical condition. Maybe that played a role here. But uh, hopefully we'll find out the answers to all these questions soon and make sure something like this doesn't happen in the future. All right. I'll tell you what I've been doing. Um, I I don't know what got me going on this. Oh, I don't know. I, so I have an email list. And if you ever want to be on the email list, just uh, just send me a note and say, add me to you know your email list. My email is frank.morano at uh, wabcradio.com. And, um, you know, it's ever growing. And I sent out a note because... One of the fellows that was supposed to stay in our house New Year's Eve Eve, he, he was feeling under the weather and he didn't want to get anyone sick, so he didn't come. So I sent out a note uh, as a reminder for the New Year's Eve Eve party and suggesting that if anyone wanted to stay in the house, they could. Right? It's kind of a twofold situation. And lo and behold, I end up kind of going through who's on my email list. And I find a couple of people had unsubscribed. So I start going through. There's always some people that unsubscribe. Maybe every time I send out an email, maybe five or six people end up unsubscribing, which is not a lot in the grand scheme of things. So I start going through these emails and I start confronting the people that I know that have unsubscribed. Now, if it's somebody that I don't know, obviously I'm not going to confront them. But I start confronting person after person. One person I reach out to says, um, well, you know, I was getting too many emails on that email address. Use this one instead. Well, okay, Danielle, I wish you would have told me that before you uh, unsubscribed. Think of all the great information you've missed out on. Another person, oh, I don't remember doing it. Sure, sure you don't remember doing it. Even my friend Coach, who I visited every day when he was in the hospital uh, awaiting a liver transplant and who I offered to give my liver to, he unsubscribed to my email list. (laughs) I asked him, I said, Coach, what's going on? How can you do that? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what uh, I'm talking about. And then there's one guy. That unsubscribed from my email list. Oh, you know who? Jody Applegate, who's a great anchor on TV and radio. And we used to be very good friends. I don't know what what happened. We kind of lost touch. You know, I um, went in one direction. She went in another direction. She got married, became a mom. You know, you lose touch with people. Fine. No acrimony ever. And we'd email from time to time. But I haven't seen her in several years. So I tweeted the following uh, the other day. And um, you you could follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O. I tweeted, I guess there comes a time in every man's life where uh, Jody Applegate unfollows, uh, unsubscribes from your email list. I just never thought that it would happen to me, and I expected some sort of reaction. No reaction from her. Hashtag 2022 disappointments. No reaction. So I hope everything's okay with Jody because she has a pretty good sense of humor. I would have expected she would have responded from this. And so um, 
I start, there's a couple of email addresses that I don't recognize, that I don't know. And so I start searching my Gmail to see who these people are. Um, and one person is on there named Ed Katz. I'm thinking, hmm, why is Ed Katz unsubscribing? So I said, let me, who is Ed Katz? So I said, let me go back and look at the last time Ed Katz and I had an email interaction. And apparently this was, believe it or not, the producer of Valerie Smaldone's radio, or not a radio show, but a show that she was doing 12 years ago. And she, he had reached out to me about getting a guest or doing something. And then we stayed in touch a little bit. And he emailed me on April 8th, 2011. Say, uh, this was the subject, come see the new musical I am producing, Europa. And it's a whole little update on Europa performing at the Crane Theater in uh, in New York in April of 2011. And has dates and opportunities to buy tickets. So uh, I didn't go see this. So I write back to him over the weekend. 11 year, more than 11, 11 and a half years after he sent me this email. And I say, how did this musical turn out? I'm sorry I couldn't make it. And his response, hi, Frank. How did you find this email from over 11 years ago? And then he goes and gives an update on to what he's doing. Um, and then uh, I, so here's the answer, if Ed is listening. I found that email because I searched all of my emails with you because you had the temerity to unsubscribe from my email list. So there you have it. I'm, I've am i decided I'm going to be, um, in my passive-aggressive manner, I will be publicly outing as many of the people as possible who have unsubscribed to my email list. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it on the radio or on Twitter, but you can bet it's going to be some way that it, my passive aggressiveness is fully on display. So that's that. All right, 800 848 We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in uh, just a bit. That's uh, 800-848-9222. You know what issue we're dealing with in our house? Maybe about two weeks ago, we noticed ants in our bathroom. We have two bathrooms, and we noticed ants in the bathroom nearest to our you know, our bedroom and Carmine's bedroom. And they're tiny little ants, and they're really, it's really disgusting little buggers. And it's really kind of gross where you, you go over the sink, you're about to shave or brush your teeth or something, and you see these little tiny little ants everywhere. It's really very disheartening. So anyway, um, on Thursday, Thursday, yeah, Thursday before I left for New Year's Eve Eve, I went and got six of these combat ant traps and planted them strategically around the uh, bathroom. And they say that's one of the best things you can do. And I did some research, and these come very well regarded. And they say what what happens is these ants go into these ant traps, and they will take some bait, which is poison for them, and they'll bring it back to the colony, and they'll feed this poison bait to the queen – and it kills the whole colony. And they say it's good. These, these are good for three to six months. And so far, I 
maybe it's wishful thinking. I noticed fewer ants there yesterday. I mentioned this to my wife. She said, absolutely not. She said, I killed 20 ants yesterday. That's why you saw fewer of them, because I killed 20 of them. So I don't know how long these ant traps take to work generally. I guess maybe it depends on the level of ant infestation, and there does seem to be a lot of ants. But I'm going to give it at least another week or so before we call an exterminator. I don't know if that's a fair amount of time before, you know, before turning to an exterminator to allow these traps to do their job. But I feel like, you know, it'll be almost 10 days at that point. I feel like that's enough. Frank, you got any uncles in your house? (laughs) You know, um, Kenneth, if uh, radio doesn't work out for you, you should consider being the... uh, Opening act for Jeff from Queens. That the two of you guys would be really quite a pair together. You'd be uh, Tom Dreesen and Frank Sinatra. Uh, Baina in Brooklyn has been patiently holding. I don't want to limit her to only fifteen seconds. Hello, Baina. Yes, hi Frank. Happy New Year. Thank you. I was a Roman. Yeah, I was a Roman Catholic, and I was going to talk about the popes, but I called because I've been doing fundraising for a while. I was a fundraiser for NYU Medical School and for the Brooklyn Public Library now for going on uh, 15 years. They're having the Metropolitan Opera is going to be at the Central Brooklyn Public Library um, February the 13th, which is I think is on a Friday. And may I give the phone number uh, as such, Frank? I mean, I, I guess so. I mean, it's kind of a little <laughs> off topic, but go ahead. Okay, it you know if you want to read a book, you want to take out books seven one eight two three zero. That's a good seven one eight two three zero twenty one hundred. Okay, so I was talking about seven one eight two three zero twenty one hundred. Yes, and have a very happy New Year. Yeah, there, there you go. Thank you. You know, it's funny. My friend Rosie, uh, who uh, came to Atlantic City, she was telling me that the library, the New York Public Library, has this great free program for learning a foreign language. You could learn any language you want, basically, German, Italian, French, Spanish, whatever. And you basically have a full level course personalized to you and to your language learning all free through the New York Public Library. The New York Public Library, and I'm sure this is true of a lot of library systems around the country, they do incredible things. There's great books. There's films, there's newspapers, there's great programs, drag queen story hour. So many great things the library has to offer. All right, uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. 800-848-9222 if you want to be heard on any subject for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Oh, yes. Thank you. The great Andy B. Um, singing our theme song. I got an email here, and I'm sure there are other people that are going to email me this, so let me respond. Christopher writes about the ants. I made a solution of sugar, water, and boric acid, and you soak cotton balls and place them around. I appreciate that, Chris, and I'm glad that it worked for you. The chances of me doing that with a one-year-old crawling around are zero. If you think I am go- a one-year-old that loves putting anything he can touch into his mouth, I am uh, not going to put boric acid anywhere on the same floor as uh, as where he is. Now, I-, I try to keep him out of that bathroom, especially without supervision. But, I mean, let's say I turn my back for 40 seconds. Uh, I turned my back for... for 30 seconds yesterday, he was halfway up the steps. So uh, I'm not going to start planting poisonous cotton balls around. I'll deal with the ants uh, rather than have a, 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 all these cotton balls with sugar, water, and boric acid solution. All right. 800-848-9222. Let us give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. Any subject is fair of a game. All you have to do is dial 800-848-9222 straight ahead. Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Sal in Brooklyn. Thank you, Sal. Bud is in Rochester. Tell me why. Oh, why? Tell me why can my dream come true? Happy Blue New Year. Oh, why? Joe and Ron Konkama. I want to shout out uh, my sister and my uh, brother Ross and my sister Gina. I got them a shirt, Frank, for Christmas from your show, and they loved it. Oh, and, uh, happy, nice. Happy New Year to them. Thank you. Happy Thank New you. Year to them as well. E. Frank in Astoria. Yes, Frank, I'm going into my 53rd year with my infant baptism in my 40th year. Boris in Queens. Frank, you don't know how crazy you sound with your newest EVs and mosquitoes and taxidos, and especially your being me up gets on my nerves. Cheech in Howard Beach. Happy New Year, cuz, missed you. Listen, ABC starts to stand for Always Broadcasting Carter. Sleeve will watch your back. Jack on Long Island. After brushing your teeth, use a water flosser. And finally, Eric in his car. Santos is Jewish, like every bridge everywhere is Spanish. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'll be back tomorrow. we got some fun stuff planned for tomorrow. You want to stay in touch with me? You can find me on Twitter at Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Uh, Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. This has been a real treat to be back. Happy 2023 to all of you. Frank Morano, good day. Mm-hmm. 